How are you doing today, Mr. Meyer Clarity? I am busier than I was for the majority of this year. That's a, that's a good place to be. Yeah, I gotta say, today's unusually hectic because um, I was just kicking it with fresh kills. And uh, we're rebuilding the studio that I have down on front in Sherborne. And so that is a lot of physical exercise that I'm not used to after a year of, you know, being on my ass. <laughs> yeah, and how are you today, Holton? I feel kind of similarly. We went outside in the sun and looked at birds and shit for hours. And I haven't really been outside in the sun in a long time enough. You know, and you get home and you're like, oh, shit, that's what that's what it feels. I needed to, like, put sunscreen on, like, mid-trip to avoid <laughs> the burning. Anyhow. <clears throat> oh, is... man. Sunscreen's a whole other trip. <laughs> I'm so bad with that. <laughs> I, I keep it in my bag. At one point, I just bring a bag with me, and sunscreen stays in there all the time. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to pay the price for that down the line. That and, like, dental hygiene for sure are going to be, like, my undoing in my 50s or some shit. <laughs> I can appreciate that feeling. But, yo, welcome now, Mr. Meyer Clarity, to Bridge the Gap. My name is Holden Stefan Roy, for those out there who don't know me. And this is the show where we take very interesting people, such as yourself, Mr. Meyer Clarity, and we walk through your lives and we extract a whole bunch of knowledge nuggets from them, uh, from your story. And we just kind of get to know you better and get to understand the person that becomes Meyer Clarity along with what Meyer Clarity is up to. Now, this is truly like kind of a cool one for me, right? Because what back in the olden times the world one as we call it sometimes where uh we could go outside Damn, and travel <laughs> uh cool man logan said it or somebody said it recently and i really liked it and i'm like worldwide it's kind of apt it's, it's, it's clear um back then uh i had this epiphany once upon a time where i should start interviewing people that were like montreal and while you were in toronto at the time it was montreal enough given who you are mr meyer clarity so uh and the first episode of this fucking journey is actually in your studio up in Toronto. I'm like mm -hmm. fucking sweaty. I just remember that. It was like I was on vacation, super fucking high. Yo, shout out Ghostface fucking Miller with the raid of 22 people. Holy smackaroni. That is a hell of a start. So, um, yeah, we're up in Toronto and we filmed this episode. It's 45 minutes and it's with Mr. Meyer Clarity. And if I argue this crazy run of interviews that's happened, it all starts there, you know, in that August moment in your studio. And then that just kind of led me on this crazy journey of interviewing people and it grew. And now it's like three to four a week clockwork locked in people are just coming through yeah, and so that. it's like crazy just to be able to kind of come full circle back to like you in a sense because we did the trashest interview by comparison to what people get like today and now so it was like yo maybe we should uh come through it, it. without its charm though you know like it, it, it had its own little i mean it was rough around the edges because we were just figuring it out but you know i mean everything everything comes full circle it's like when you go back in time and watch your like early music or whatever it's just kind of what you're never gonna like episode one of anything you do i mean it has a charm <laughs> and like it's not a bad it's not like i even i'm not even not proud of it i just look at myself and i'm like i'm so sweaty but that's all i can focus on the whole anyway that was then now we've evolved into this whole like thing and in a Dude, sense the post sweat world. <clears throat> 
Yeah. Uh, yo, you totally rated in okay, Ghostface Miller. I just got to give a big shout out again. That came through with a whole squad of people that are going to be here, you know, yeah, able to like check up. this out. All y'all need to know Appreciate that Meyer Clarity is a great person, honestly. Uh, he's fantastic music just because it hasn't triggered yet. What I'm going to do is link his Spotify right now so y'all can like peep that and check it out. And uh, just put that in right quick because we normally don't get raids so early on before anything triggers like that. Um, anyhow, <clears throat> with that, I felt like it would be cool now that the show's kind of defined itself a bit more and it has become a thing that's more like, let's fill out your wiki page because it's impossible to research you is kind of where I'm coming from with it. Uh, sure. let's, go, let's go through it right. Let's do it all proper and get you in. And with that, I do have... I a first question that I should ask just so that people are aware. Where are you from, as in born, in the earliest parts of your life, Mr. Meyer Clarity? I am born and raised in Montreal, Canada. That is wonderful. So with that, I do have my first question I like to ask everybody. It's a bit of a story. And when it lands, you can feel free to take the question and run with it in any direction mm -hmm. that you want. So it all starts off with my girlfriend. And she's washing the dishes a bit time ago. And she's got that Black Eyed Peas song playing. That, I got a feeling. Ooh. <laughs> she's bopping around. And she's dancing. And she's doing her thing. And I'm looking at her. And I have this like epiphany, right? Like this song is chores music. It's go to the gym music. It's like you throw it on to go for a run music type of thing. And you kind of have this whole vibe attached to the song. Which, let's be real, is significantly different. Then when we all listened to this song 10 years ago and we were a lot younger and we were all up inside of clubs and we was trying to maybe get laid and things while the same very song was telling us to have the greatest night and let go of our inhibitions and such. And now it's chores music. And it's just crazy how a little thing like 10 years of time can take the vibe of a song and redefine its context and reality completely and differently. Which, well, music is how we decorate time, right? So yeah, depending on how we spend our time, we're decorating it with the songs that we like. And we might decorate things differently if we're in a club versus at home. But what's you know? crazy is that the same songs that are in the club today are going to become those same chores music of those people. It kind of applies to anyone, right? Whatever you bumped when you were 20 is going to be your go-to music in like 12 years when you're going to hit that treadmill kind of thing, right? You know, so Adi's... Wet ass pussy That's in the exactly where I'm going next with it. <laughs> Cardi B, all of that yeah. shit. That is, in fact, the future. People watching dishes, music. That's it. The kids are going to grow up while their moms vibing out to that, like probably filming TikToks and shit. That's the future. It's wonderful to me. But it also made me think about our own musical journeys and how they change over time and how we go through all of these different things and how songs and vibes evolve over time. So nothing static with this. But when we often talk about our own musical journeys, we kind of start at this place like adolescent era when we get our own identities and we start to attach ourselves to music. But that that's not the start of the story for real. It actually starts like way earlier. Like as soon as we can remember stuff, as the earliest we can be, there's just these sounds and vibes. Like recently I remembered I used to love Men Without Hats when I was like three. This was like me and my mom would jam to that shit. Or like I can remember my dad had these gray boxes of the amps and the radio and the tape players and shit connected to speakers all over and he would play these Led Zeppelins and things like that. And then at night it was like the MC Mario's in the 90s techno era. And then at Christmas time we had these like 
weird techno remixes to Christmas songs. And just all these different vibes would appear throughout like my life and these musics. And my mom had these disco tapes and I saw this different stuff and it kind of creates this like foundation to, to what I listened to before I had any control over the music in my life. So I was hoping that you could take us back to like the youngest Meyer clarity that you can remember and walk us through a little bit of the soundscape of your existence. Damn. <clears throat> well, first of all, that's such a dope question and a dope way to ask it. Cause like, I just learned a whole bunch more about you in that question. And now I'm excited to like share my whole part of that of like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, you're you're crazy impacted by you know the music you grow up around i'm sure and like that goes for everyone and it has its effects and like you know for example i'm just putting two and two together right now thinking like one of my skills as a producer is arrangement right and as a child i listened to a lot of classical music because uh my dad was a very big fan of classical music so there's like a lot of mozart a lot of bop um beethoven and so that's probably where i got like the wires in my brain for arrangement and shit um mm. but then the first time i think i really like tuned into music and realized like i like like music was uh i was on a bus on my way to quebec city to visit my grandmother uh with my mom's and she had this uh cd player back in the yeah fucking walkman and uh, back in the days of those, and she had this um, Beatles CD, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and so I was I was bored on the bus. I was like, okay, I wanna I wanna listen to some music, and I think it was track six that got me the It's Getting Better All the Time. Like, I started listening to that, and then it something in my head clicked. Like, oh, I think I wanna write music, and that was probably like the earliest. I think I was around like eleven or twelve when that happened. I'm bad with like <laughs> memories and shit. No worries um, about it. Yeah, I think that was like the first. Like that's like the earliest memory I got of like, okay, I'm gonna do some music shit. But let's that go and... before you had those memories. So while like, your mom was into the classical, that was super interesting. Your dad said so my you pops listen. who was who that's was that's kind of it because that means when you were young, you heard classical, and this yeah. is like. I don't know you like what about sorry not and we want to actually stop when you're like is super young because there's usually even more good shit to uncover at this age and believe it or not the people who care about Meyer Clarity do want to hear about five-year-old Meyer Clarity's adventures <clears throat> it's what uh he <laughs> but that's it so we now know classical and to the point where uh we just found out you're the first guest to even bring up uh classical music in like 90 interviews including yourself before so uh okay. that's well, so it's that. like interesting and then you said arrangement and you're actually connecting things off the jump with that but there's so much more to being young right so like how are you like listening to music was it just like your parents were playing it via the radio tapes were they like actively getting music was it a big part of your life was it small um i would say it's definitely a big part of my life um <clears throat> my dad had this like impressive vinyl collection actually both my parents had an impressive vinyl collection uh, my dad's is leaning more on the side of like classical music, um, which he would sometimes just end up quizzing me on. He'd be like, "All right, what country is this from?" And I'd have to guess. And I was like, uh, "Fuck, Austria? No, it's German." And I was like, "Oh shit." Um, so that's just a weird 
know, side note. Um, no, this is great. And, yeah, and then he would also have, like, he had Bob Dylan and a lot of, like, classic rock as, like, his B-side kind of thing, B-side collection. And I'm trying to think of what my mom had. She had a lot of, like, left-field shit, you know? Like, I feel like there was a lot of Frank Zappa. Uh, Serge Gainsbourg was a big one. Uh, I think there were a couple Tom Waits records. Stuff like that in that kind of lane. But even just saying that, you can almost hear a lot of that in your music today. You can hear Word? the Zappa in the out thereness of what you do. Which yeah, is crazy. I ain't never got Zappa before. <laughs> I never thought about it until you said it and I was just listening to this eclectic mix of your music where you're like puking all over yourself and this that's like like Zappa-esque approach to music, taking it to such an extreme. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, is it exactly that? No, but the spirit of it. Yeah, it's nifty to me that you were exposed to this wide versatility of stuff and you can kind of hear that heavy rock influence and everything and what you do today. You know, like it's not lost. Like that connection just kind of flows all the way through. But there's still things outside of just the listening of music that goes on. Um, sometimes we we find out that the people we talk to were super into dancing and stuff and because there's a whole bunch of elements to hip-hop so i kind of like to walk through the other ones and find out what the the young peoples were up to so were you a dancer when you were five into the theatrics and the performings and such well not a dancer no uh i didn't have rhythm for shit uh <laughs> i was like a awkward five-year-old um but in terms of like theatrics, like I was a little drama kid. Um, I was always in school plays and stuff. And that's definitely where I got my like itch to be on stages and my comfort in front of people. Uh, where I was like, okay, here's like the one place where I can have a positive impact and be extra and not get in trouble for it and shit. Um, Yo, that was interesting. So, here's yeah, this outlet yeah. so that I can be extra and not get in trouble for it. Bro, because, like, th think about it this way, like, you can literally have a meltdown and everyone looks at you like you're crazy. But then if you have a meltdown in front of, like, a cameraman and it's scripted, then you're an Oscar award winning actor. And literally you're just picking your moments. I mean, there's, like, a large gray area, obviously, in between, but, like... <laughs> The whole point of, like, having meltdowns on camera can be a career versus having meltdowns is, like, seen as mental illness. And it's just, like, there's really not a huge difference, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. So that uh, there was a part of that that, like, attracted me as a child where it's like, you mean I could just be crazy on camera and then everyone thinks it's a talent? Dope. <laughs> Yo, but those are still big connections to make. Um yeah. I, I just sorry i was plugging you to the chat that's kind of why i was oh, a little good, distracted um so the next question is about the visual sides of things were you into the drawings and the things like that when you were young were you a visual kid um yeah yeah definitely i uh i used to draw these comics a lot like this uh this little bug character who used to always get murdered in every comic uh, it was on some like South Park Kenny shit. Um, so that was like this ongoing thing I had. Uh, and I think just because I was like pure ADHD as a kid, like I just could not focus in class. So I would just always end up drawing something crazy. Um, and I've drawn some crazy shit over the years now I think about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's definitely like the artistic side of things. Like that, that was the part of my brain that was definitely like 
flaring up as a kid, and then none of this math shit, you know. Um, I was definitely leaning towards the arts early, early on. I would say. Nah, super dope though. Like just the fact that you drew comics is cool. Like my best friend right now makes comics, so like you know, just the idea of oh, like you were just doing that and you killed a bug on some South Park shit. That's dope. <laughs> I love South Park personally. Um, so you're running through the younger ages. Uh, what part of Montreal are you from? Um, I was on the outskirts of NDG, so I, I grew up around Snowden Metro. Mm. It was pretty much where uh, I spent my formative years. Um, and yeah, my parents had like split mad early, so I was like going back and forth between houses. Uh, and my dad was like on one side of the carry on Queen Mary, and my mom was on the other side of the carry, like right across from Snowden Metro. Um, Right where that Jean Coutu is, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly where that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, one, I'm like on the apartment building behind it. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's where I grew up. And then spent so much time just in Girard Park. Moved there around like 18, 19. Moved in with my buddy Chris. I will definitely. And, uh, we'll get to 18, I, 19. But, um, yeah, that's down the line shit. <laughs> yeah, it's just more to like add the context, right? So you're in NDG, you're a young one, um, and then you said uh, you kind of really just discover music a little bit later on when you were, I think, 11 or 12 going to Quebec City, and that's when you really start to get kind of into it, and it was the Beatles at that point? Yeah. So before we move on with that, um, have you embraced any musical instruments or anything by this point or are you just like a person who listens to music damn that's a good question um i think there's this keyboard that's at my grandma's place and so after listening to the beatles i probably dabble with some shit um but i think i was definitely probably more attracted to like the poetry aspect side of things um, now that I think about it, it was probably like a split between like the writing side and then the, the piano compositional side of things, I would say. Um, but you know, I was still sort of figuring out which lane I wanted to be in. Uh, I just knew that there was like a performative aspect of it that, you know, I wanted to be on stages. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what the development was like. All right, so you're like basically kind of discovering your identity. You don't really know what you want to do yet, but you know you want to perform because of school plays and stuff. Yeah. So at what point do you discover, yo, I actually want to start writing poetries or getting into the rap or anything like that? Do you remember that moment? Man, uh, that was a little bit down the line. I would say around like grade seven. Um, yeah, so my buddy David Benamou, who unfortunately passed away, I have him tattooed on my arm. Um, he's the one who gave me, like, my first hip-hop CD kind of thing. Uh, he gave me, like, a burnt copy of Eminem's Encore, and then just, like, something about the rage on all the raps and just being able to just say crazy shit appealed to me. Uh, I think I was, like, an edgy kid for sure. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Something about that CD, you know, gave me the itch, and I started writing a lot. Um, and then, fortunately, <laughs> I had a, a neighbor who was a member of the legendary group Northern Lights 5, um, and he kind of coached me. Yeah, you, you know you know Northern Lights? 
Well, I happen to be day job colleagues with Justice for a couple oh, right, of years. Right, 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 right. So me and Justice, uh, I would I would say we're buddies. I don't want to be like we're we're tight, but we're like somewhere between acquaintance and friend, depending on circumstance. <clears throat> yeah, no, I get you. Yeah, yeah. So exactly, Saji was my uh, was my neighbor, and I said he coached me on like you know because I, I I was coming out the gate on trying to be like a trying to write gangster shit and i'm like this 13 year old little jewish boy <laughs> and he's like bro that's not you like <laughs> first of all nah. <laughs> and he kind of coached me and like told me what was what and he burnt me like a like a hip-hop education cd you know with all the classics a little wu-tang on there and nas and jay-z um and then from there uh yeah i just sort of dived into the hip-hop side of things and I don't know. Like it was like a a, a new immediate so, outlet so for me like, being able to write. As of like thirteen, just like writing raps. Yeah, twelve, thirteen. And you just happen to be next to somebody that's established, so already you're like, I'm gonna take this seriously, and started getting like advice on how to approach this. Cause yo, I I knew like when I met you were like seventeen, eighteen, and you already had a disc out. So this kind of like adds some context into how you get your shit together that quickly to be able to be in such a position. So it's crazy. Like 13 and already willing to go. And then thankfully somebody was like, check yourself a little bit, maybe do something that's a little bit more you. Uh, Matter. so you're, you're basically an active artist since 2013 or does it like, take a couple of years to really get started? Um, It took a couple of years because, you know, like, I started in grade seven, so like, as I'm, you know, still working my way through high school and shit, I'm probably not at my, you know, most adept. But man, just the way you frame that right there, you got me thinking like, yo, that is, that is pure circumstance and luck. And like, man, I'm grateful for that and fortunate because, man, if it wasn't for Asaji, I don't think I would have been brought into the studio uh, at the age I was brought into which wouldn't have given me my ability to like enunciate the way I do and just like learn from an early age and how to mold my sound. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. Shit's just crazy. It's a journey. Yeah. Just a quick tangential question. How old were you when you wrote Meet Me at the Park? Uh, I think I was around like 18. Fair. Yeah. 18, 19. That's a fuck cool. boy age. <laughs> All right, so let's go back to like you're 13, 14. You're basically learning the basics of it. How do you get beats and stuff? Or are you just kind of just writing the rap side? What was that site called? I think there was a site called like Hot Beats or Fat Beats or something uh, that I used to like scour for hours and shit. But then I knew that I wanted to get to a place where I made my own shit. Um, and I think I decided that around like 13. I was like, no, no, no. It would be doper if I, I was in charge of, like, what I was making. And so I started out just fucking around on, like, Acid Pro uh, back when I had a PC. Uh, and that was, like, one of the old beat programs. And then I think I fucked around with Fruity Loops for a minute. And back in the MySpace days, there was this group that was, like, living in my area that I was following that I was a huge fan of. Um, I think they went by 514 Indo. And... I started talking to, to their producer. I'm like, well, what do you use? And he told me all about Reason. And then I've, I've been a Reason head since. I got the fucking damn tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you take that tattered on me, so I'm really fucking serious. Eh? It was like, I'm a... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a corporate love song for like, yo, I'll, I'll get your brand tatted on. 
Uh, that's that's a fucking incredible. So 13 years old, already making beats or deciding to make beats. And we're talking pre-YouTube era, right? Or beginning of YouTube era. No, maybe pre-YouTube. There weren't no tutorials or nothing, that's for sure. But yeah, like early, early YouTube. Um, fuck, yeah. Like I think I posted one of my first songs on YouTube was probably Lonely Avenue, which was like I had this Ray Charles sample that I flipped. And uh, made a whole video around it. It's an awkward fifteen-year-old with braces. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, no, but like, I don't even think you realize how incredible all of this really is, as far as like an ambition point of view goes, or like a willingness. Like, not a lot of people are just like, "Yo, I'm gonna just start doing all of this at thirteen by myself." Usually, the story is I met a person, or this happened, or a circumstance. Hell. In my case, it's, you know, Meyer Clarity hooks me up with a beat one day. Like, all of these things kind of play into it. And you're, like, 13. And you're, like, just pushing it. So how how do you, like, learn how to make beats? Man, I it was just, like, it was hours of making shitty beats and just, like, figuring it out. Um, but, yeah, like, going back to what you said, I mean, I did technically meet someone, you know. My neighbor upstairs oh, right, right, brought right, me right, to the right, studio. right, right, right. right. And then going to the studio, you know, that, like, helped mold me. And, and you know how, like, there's this relationship between artist and engineer where you're always trying to, like, bring your A game because you want that feedback in addition to, like, leaving with a recorded product. And you're, you're always like, okay, well, that's the first person who's going to hear my record is their ears. So I got to come with, you know, bars that are going to impress so-and-so. Um, so, yeah. That's definitely where, like, my head was at. So I gotta respond to that. So your Ghostface Miller, Meyer does production and Meyer does rapping and Meyer, I believe, engineers and he's pretty fucking a powerhouse and one of the oh his performances, debatably one of the best I've seen in the local scene in Montreal in the history of Montreal's local scene. I made the mistake of competing against him one time. Not a good look for a concert if you want to, unless you're okay with not winning. <laughs> anyway, but it uh, sounds regardless. No, nah, it was it was a good time. I had a lot of fun with it. But Meyer uh, does a lot of things. He's he's pretty powerhouse, which is kind of like less surprising when you realize he's been like pushing it since he's thirteen years old. Which is like okay, fair enough. And even that attitude of coming through with the engineer. Honestly, I never one time thought that in my life. Like like I give it like I had to impress the engineer in that regard, or like I never heard that before. So even like that to me is like this this like nifty way that you approach the world that allows you to create maybe a higher quality project. Like I'll never forget seeing you in the studio working on glassy eyed like a monocles ad lib. And I'd never seen <laughs> anybody like and I'd never you seen it before. Better than I, do. I don't really drink as much as other people drink. And believe it or not, if you start weed as an adult, it does not fuck up your memory. I mean, technically, I'm a late bloomer in the flower scene of smoking a lot. Um, I mean, I don't think I really started being a pothead until, like, 26, but I guess that's when I, like, quit drinking. I know you were drinking back then, and that might be why my memory of part of that area is a little more... Well, I didn't drink a lot, so I just... I don't know. Plus, that was such a huge moment for me to see somebody in a studio rapping. I'd never been in a studio before, and there was you. And I was just like, you were like, nah, that ad lib's not right. And you just like reworked on it. And I remember just watching that, and I'm like, damn, eh? 
damn that's like a level of like serious shit like um uh that, that like inspired me at least um anyway so like <clears throat> with that it kind of makes sense so you're like 15 and you're already doing a video and you made how did you get to a point where you're making videos i guess youtube is okay you're younger right so i guess the youtube and the video creation culture is a little more accessible at your age i guess i i might have skimmed over that bit um shit how do i like paint this picture you'll run it back if you have to it's totally fine yeah i didn't know i was gonna go this in depth let me no it's wonderful let me, let me break it down okay um so i was a theater kid and that definitely bled into i wanted to make movies and my mom had this old video camera uh just like one of those digital video cameras that you go on vacation with type shit and yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just made like a million and one ridiculous short films with it, uh, ranging from serious to just unwatchably bad. Um, and so that's probably where I got my like editing chops because I was on like iMovie way early, uh, back when Apple computers had colorful backs and the thing. Um, you know what I'm talking about. And yeah, that's definitely where I spent like, a lot of my time just developing as an editor. And then there's also, I'm completely skipping over this aspect. My bad, I'm bad at telling the story. In grade five, I did a little deviation away from music where I thought I was gonna be like an animator for a minute. And I was doing like a lot of shit with Flash MX um, and like Adobe shit like that. So there was a minute where I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm just gonna animate stuff like Miyazaki. And, like, Yo, it's so super. It's so yeah. nifty to hear all this, right? Because for, first of all, yo, what's up, Golden Jenny? So we have Golden Jenny from Norway watching. We have Ghostface Miller from the UK watching. It's a blessed night. Um, Appreciate y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Um, but yo, for real, reals. So let me just get this straight. By the time you're 13, you are a video creator. You're making beats and you're rapping, regardless of skill set. And you're an animator. That's a hell of a lot by 13, Meyer. Honestly, like that's pretty fucking impressive, dude. Yeah, I think I was a weird kid for sure. <laughs> but um, I think you're kind of a template for what a lot of other kids are today. Like you got to just I, I've talked to quite a few young people at this point. Like we're talking that like as young as 17, 22 ish, that range. And that's yeah. kind of what they're all like, though. They all are like how you approach it. They start at like 12, 13 because YouTube makes a lot of things accessible. So now they're bumping like Young Thug, Tupac and everything all at once, but then they also have the tutorials, but then they also have the apps. So they didn't have it as hard as you per se, but they basically have been able to achieve a lot of the things you did. And by like 18 are in kind of comparable places to where you were at by like 18. So it's super yeah. nifty to just see like, what the next generation is going to look like almost by like following you as a template as to like how good they're going to be by like their late 20s Yo, it's not even going to be fair it's going to get to a point where it's like all right i can't even put out music it's just embarrassing nah because <laughs> you know it's nah. um, yo this is the first time in history honestly where your new consumer ages with you so like the consumer of like new music as of the spotify era is everyone Whereas previously it was all targeted at 25 and under. So we can just get True old that. and do this now. Look at who was up for Grammys last time. You're going to tell me Royce is popping with the 16 year olds. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> um, I mean, I was a 16 year old that listened to Royce, but 
Once again, I'm a weird kid. No, but like Royce, when you were 16 and Royce today are not like at the same Royce. He, he's gone sober since then. Like Slaughterhouse is more of that Royce, which is like a very like more 16 year old packaged age versus Book of Ryan, which super <laughs> yeah, different no, I, vibe, you know? I hear that. Um, no, but super cool. So you're 15, you put out this video on YouTube. Uh, are you already releasing audios and shit on other platforms at this point? Um, let's see. Let me just backtrack here. I, mostly, I think I was going the route of like doing EPs and shit um, and like burning CDs and all that. Um, I think I had like about four or five like EPs that I put out before anything became listenable. Um, <laughs> and then probably on like the fifth one is when I started putting shit on MySpace and bringing stuff over to YouTube. Uh, oh, no, wait. But technically, that first video I was talking about, I think that was off the third one called Soundcheck. Man, my memory has gone to shit. Yeah, um, let's see. There was Lights Out, which is the first one I did. Then there was Still Underground, which is the second one I did. And then there was Soundcheck. And then what the fuck is the next one? Uh, Piece of Rhyme, which was mad dope. It has David Hodges on it. Um, yeah, and then... Dope. Nostalgic Tomorrows is when like shit started getting serious. That's like and then the, after that was BYOB. Yeah, we got okay. So we got to like so I'll okay. I know what Nostalgic Tomorrows is because I have that. <laughs> that was the name of the project that I own the physical of today. Um, but like uh, you were in high school and you're 15 and you put out a project. How does this like impact you? Do you like start performing? Are you like part of the scene at this point? Like. You're 15 and you're dropping music at a point when the scene is, is in a much more infantile state than it is today. Are you like just kind of doing it on the internet? Like, can you elaborate a bit more on this phase before you kind of, you know? Excuse me. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Cause like first couple of shows I went to, like I was definitely that kid going to rap shows with his mom. Cause I was too young to drink or get in. I'm like, 14, 15, uh, <laughs> seeing like an underground rap show with my mom there and I'm super embarrassed. And uh, <laughs> she was just like, like I look back on it now and it's real dope that she went and I'm sure that people were like, oh, that's cool as fuck. But like back when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I must be like the lamest person here. I came with my mom. Um, so that, you know, <laughs> that bled into me a little bit. Uh, I remember, like, one the first big show I saw was Talib Kweli. Um, but then, yeah, in terms of performing, uh, I think the first show I ever did was at summer camp. Uh, at camp in a Brith. Hey. Shout out to all my tribes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I did a show in front of, like, 500 kids there. And, uh, yeah, that was with David Benamou, who passed away. Um, oh, Bro, and this is a fucking story. Let me just dive into this. We had been... So we signed up for the talent show. We were going to do the talent show, rock raps, all that jazz. Um, and then we're trying to get beats, and the counselors are in charge of getting the beats for some reason. They had to pre-approve shit. And we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. We had like 21 days to prepare this shit. And then four days away from the talent show is when we finally get a CD of beats. And we're just like, okay, fuck. <laughs> so we have four days to write raps, memorize them, and then perform them. And so I wrote mine, David wrote his, um, I'm trying to practice, 
you know, we're doing our shit over and over and over and over. And then we do the fucking show, and I'm freaking out. I puke backstage, and <laughs> we go on. We go on. I think he starts like flubbing a line, and then I just kick it into overgear, and I start rapping his parts for him uh, while rapping mine. And then it was just like this whole insane moment of like, okay, we got this. Um, and then we brought it back. We got the momentum back, and then we, uh, we closed out the set. And it was fucking. It was crazy. I want to do this shit again. <laughs> and so that was like the first. You know, B'nai B'rith is a big place, everyone. It is not a small summer camp. Like. 500 kids. Yo, that must have been quite the reception. Oh, and we got these backup dancers too. Like last minute, a couple, uh, couple girls volunteered. And we're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. And so added legitimacy. <laughs> Yo, right off the jump. That that's a pretty strong point. So you do that performance, that must have lit a bug under you, got you wanting more of it. Um, yeah, and then it, it went from five hundred to like four people in a room <laughs> for like years, years, and still to this day. <laughs> you know, I understand that vibe actually. <laughs> yeah. Nah, but still, like that's a lot of people. That's a good memory. Um, and you got to do your own original music, which you guys created in four days and rocked the crowd on, which is pretty fucking impressive when you think about it, because like people have to yeah. be prepared for these kinds of things in life, right? Like, let's say we're in the big leagues. I'm certain there are environments where that might happen to us, where like you might need to be able to have that skill set, And if you're able to pull that off, that means there's going to be an expectation that people can pull off shit like this. You know, I don't know if I could pull that off today. I feel so much dumber and lazier in comparison, especially telling these stories. I'm like, yo, who the fuck was that kid? <laughs> Where did he go? When did my knees get so bad? <laughs> yo, Bills. Bills changes everything. Yo, because seriously, these kids, yo, I talked to this 17 year old. He's recorded like fucking 180 songs. But then I realized, what does he got to do? Homework and then nothing. Yeah. It's COVID. So what are you going to do? He's going to sit there for like a fucking year. And, like, just, we got work, we got things, you know? And, yo, there's sometimes where, like, you know you should go do that thing, like, write that song. You're just not there. And you know if you write it badly, you don't want to listen to that or whatever, you know? Like, life kicks in. You just don't have that, like, and then you get feedback. Feedback is another answer to that question. You don't have any feedback when you're 15, like, when you're 30. Yeah, that's true. People give you different kinds of feedback. Mm -hmm. Um... Because people are trying to mold you when you're younger versus, like, when you're older, they're just trying to, like, it's either, like, a relationship thing or, like, a favor or, like, a don't hurt my feelings kind of tip. <laughs> yeah, it's different different times. I also, I don't know. I feel like it's nifty. Were you, like, involved in high school battle raps or things like that? What high school did you go to? Um, I went to three different high schools technically i guess like okay so i went to weston for the first grade seven and grade eight and then three weeks of grade nine before i got expelled i have and no idea what weston is weston is like this bro it was how do i fucking describe this school okay so a lot of kids that went there were indigenous it was like specifically for them but then at the same time, like, I don't know what the deal was, but it was like this whole, uh, it was like, I don't know. It was like carpooling or some shit. Anyways, it was that. And then everyone else was like this mental or special needs case 
or like anger issue type of thing. And I was like, this is an unusual mix of like, I don't know, man. This is just like a wild fucking school. And so, yeah, how do I tell the story right? Um, Yo, it's interesting. Yeah, Weston. Like, I, cause then, no, no, no. I'm missing a whole third chunk. The third chunk was, it was a private school, so there was like random rich kids. So it's like kids with ADD, uh, indigenous kids, and then spoiled as rich kids. Uh, and so, and this is in Montreal. Yeah, and like, this, I swear I've never like heard the of this weirdest, school. Like mix of like, oh man, <laughs> and so, like, yeah, our fucking homeroom teacher got pregnant like the first week of grade eight and then we had a substitute that whole year and essentially there was no class at all we just did crossword puzzles and fought each other and it was just like wow my mom's like it's an ndg (laughs) my mom knows weston (laughs) oh your mom knows weston yeah um man that was a a crazy school it was good times (laughs) hi mommy thanks for coming through (laughs) there you go so yeah like and it's weird because it was like a it changed the third year that i was there because we had this uh, cool principal, uh, and then he got fired for embezzling money or some shit. And then we had this super pain in the ass principal, who type of lady to like keep you outside in the rain until you got your tie right. And it was just like, what, what the fuck? What is yeah. all this? That's serious. <laughs> yeah, that's serious. Yeah, there was this crazy uniform too. You had a blazer and a tie and shit. Uh, I don't know what the fuck the deal with that school was because it was like it was trying to be like 10 different schools uh anyway so I get expelled from there with the crazy principal uh they end up calling the cops on me saying I was like making all sorts of threats there out of nowhere and then they essentially like shit talk me to every single school and I end up blacklisted and the only school I can go to is options one so I ended up going to Holy options shit. one yo that's and, big uh, that is like <laughs> Cause I'm pretty sure that shit's happened. I've heard of this blacklisting thing before, but I don't yeah. even know. Sometimes people say shit like that and they don't even hear how big I think like what they're saying is right. Like you've got a situation where you went to a school that was yeah. already a fucking disaster to start with outside of your control. Something happens because of a fucking principle that is evidently pushing her role a little too far. And, uh, Oh shit, that's the school that was like behind where I grew up on fucking Cranbrook. I literally oh, lived, yeah. I lived in the yellow building with the green balconies for like the whole oh, time what? you were fucking there. Bro, that's insane. Uh, maybe okay, not. well then that's Weston, bro. Oh no <laughs> shit. My mom yeah. yo, shut up my mom. Uh <laughs> like that's serious. Okay, I do know I had no idea what this I knew it was there. I walked by that shit my whole life. I had no idea it was that. I swear. Yeah. What a oh man! Anyway, <laughs> I just so, remember this one kid who was like always confused about what year it was. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, she was she or was whatever. Bad. It's somewhere around there. I don't know. Maybe it's the wrong. Oh, actually, I do know what Weston is now. I was wrong about that school. I was wrong about that. It's another. Anyway, it's not that important where Weston is. I do remember Tom it. Connor. Yeah. Okay. Now I know it because I think I dated a girl that went there in hindsight for a quick minute. But that's a whole other thing. Um. Mm. Okay, that's a wax situation and environment, but still, you get expelled and they bring the police into it, which already creates yeah. a degree of complication for you because now the police get put in, regardless, regardless, you become identified by them, and then you get blacklisted and forced into debatably a more complicated school, and you can't go to other public schools or other situations. 
Yeah, exactly. And then options was good for me though, cause uh, I called my shit down, uh, and I didn't want to get my ass served to me, which I definitely would have gotten. Um, so it was kind of like it's like big fish in a small pond versus big fish in a big pond kind of situation, I guess, mm. or just different ponds. But anyways. I learned a lot of dope shit of options. Kind of made me a better person. Uh, ended up being a valedictorian of options two, which was wild. Um, What's the difference between options one and options two? So options one is just grade nine, and options two is grade ten and eleven. Okay. So right, that's uh, <laughs> that's how that goes. And uh, fuck, man. So basically, you become a valedictorian, which is still powerful. That's actually a blessed situation to end up in. But still, the fact that this kind of like, just because one principal felt one way about one thing puts you in this situation where you get expelled and blackballed is still kind of big. Like, I don't Bro, know. Bro, that's like, I don't even think about it that crazy because that is one of like many teachers that have had it out for me. Like, out, out for me. I've had people put in hours off the clock to fuck with me since I was like a kid. That was like the type of thing. I was used to like having adults single me out and be like, I'm 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 gonna get this one, um, and then so when it happened with the principal, I was like, oh, okay, you just cut from the same cloth as these various vultures and such. So yeah, I don't know, man, vampires out there, but it was a blessing in disguise because options one kind of like it was like I don't know, it threw me, it gave me a new perspective on things, which is definitely helpful. But at this point, you're also like you know, a budding rap star in the making as you've uh, <laughs> bopped out this B'nai B'rith performance. And uh, do, are you still performing after that? Like, do, before you finish high school, do you get, like, involved in the scene or does that come, like, post-high school? No, that's um, that's budding all the while. So, like, I think at options one, I had... I might have bailed on the talent show, I think. <laughs> uh, and then around options two, I started doing talent shows. And then at the same time, I started working with the Leave Out Violence program. Um, yeah, shout out Leave Out Violence. You want to break down program. what Leave Out Violence is for the people that won't have heard of it before? Absolutely. Actually, that's a whole other part of the formative years. Uh, so Leave Out Violence is a program that helps at-risk youth gives them something to do after school because uh, essentially the founder of the program who is uh, like a literal angel named Twinkle her I want to fuck the story out she, she founded the program initially because uh, she was a victim of a robbery that unfortunately took her husband from her and instead of going to a place of rage blame and hatred she decided to learn about uh her attacker and why he did what he did and so she started this program because she found out that essentially this was just a kid who had been like initiated into a gang and didn't really have anything to do because his parents were always at work uh because they were just trying to keep a roof over their head and so he was just alone getting raised by television and so she started this program kind of as like a community initiative to just you know if you ain't got nothing to do come here, learn about poetry, learn about photography, you know, learn about like a little bit of psychology. It's also like a group therapy thing. So yeah, she cre she filled this need that had pretty much created a situation that took something real deep and personal from her. Um, well, life straight up. And so 
Yeah, she this would, was like, the program that I. She would like me? go as far as to tour the schools. Like she came to Wager. Uh, yeah. When I was there, so like they were there, and you know they they were like all over. I don't know how far their reach was, but I know they were all over Montreal. Oh yeah, no, they uh, well that was part of what I did for them, and and that was part of my performances is I actually got to tour the schools and rock raps for them in addition to telling this story over and over again um and yeah just sort of explaining like my story as well because like you know i since i was like five you know i'd seen some domestic violence shit go down um and that definitely warped me and how i grew up and that's you know probably all the root of the anger and stuff so you know i would tell my story to everyone uh and just talk about uh you know, seeing my dad hit my mom kind of thing and, you know, just sort of explain my route through it all and then talk about using like photography and poetry as an outlet. And then I would go school to school and also rock a rap song and also tell Twinkle's story. Um, yeah, so I think that also like had something to do with me being more and more comfortable in like a public speaking role or like uh, or at least just performative shit. Which I've all lost over the last year due to COVID. <laughs> I don't think you lost it. You sound great, bro. Like, oh, thank you, bro. Man, I like, I, we, like on my end, our... I'm like, I forgot how to socialize. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. We did that like Sunday morning NFT stream, and you were fucking killing it. Oh, that was good times, bro. Um, no, for real though. Like, I just think Leave Out Violence is really cool. I forgot about them as I often do. Uh, I was forced into Leave Out Violence for a minute, but they published my shit in their paper. And I forgot about that for most of my life. And they used to have that paper and it would go around to all the schools and you would get to see mm. the different people's work and shit. And I just thought hey, it's cool to be able to give them their flowers, but to see that you were involved in that and that you were like, and that they gave you that opportunity. And again, you, you go on to do a lot of pretty cool things. Like you should hear the reverence people speak on you getting punched in the face and then continuing to perform later on in life. The oh reverence that gets that put on is... that story. Two interviews that's, like that's a, come up on. <laughs> that's a story now, hey? That's like, oh, man, is that one of, like, the milestone events? Remember that time Clarity got punched in the face, get rapping? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, Oh, I, man. What the fuck kind of legacy am I leaving? <laughs> I mean, you're, like, past that phase of your life, but one of the best performers in Montreal, and there's proof to the pudding. And then I throw in the girls peeing on stage story and you don't even flinch. And it's like Meyer Clarity's a fucking G about his shit. <laughs> I don't even remember the, the girl peeing on stage story. Oh, I will never forget that. We're at like Death House. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and I just know I'm on right before you. Six girls on stage. I'm focused on my girlfriend. I have the footage of that shit. And then you get on stage and one of them just, it just happened. She just peed right there on the stage and you just didn't stop rapping didn't really <laughs> like happen. but you it's just your unflinching ability to keep a show going regardless of what is happening around you is pretty fucking incredible my adhd is my superpower it makes me tunnel focused it's like when i opened for yellow wolf and got lit cigarettes pelted at me wait what okay let's pivot to that what happened uh I opened for Yellow Wolf, and I wasn't great at handling my highs, so I had to freestyle a couple of my numbers, and at one point, motherfuckers started throwing lit cigarettes at me, and then I was like, oh shit, let's do our closing number in depth. 
<laughs> serious. <laughs> that, is, that is definitely a moment. Uh, that a, another first. Nobody said that they've actually had lit cigarettes. But still, the fact is that you have all these stories. My guy, I don't think you understand that. That Look, you're, yeah. not, even, you're not even 30, right? Man. Like, I've barely <laughs> lived by comparison to these stories that you're putting on to the record. It's incredible. And you're from Montreal. And you're from this city that I'm in, at least. Uh, and you're part of the legacy of this shit. This all happened. This is all part of it all. And uh, I don't want to say anyone's more important than anyone else. But to a lot of people, you played a role. Man, I appreciate that so much. There's a... Uh... It's easy to, like, fucking lose track of shit and forget. Like, for example, myself, I've just been in this, like, Groundhog Day. Um, you know, living out in this sewing room right here. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, it's easy to forget everything that you've done and gone through and shit. And so just talking about this and, like, thinking about it is like, oh, dang. There are a lot of stories. There's a lot of... <laughs> insane shit that's happened like the getting punched in the face during the so you think you can rap show yeah where i learned that you shouldn't steal jack daniels from people tables because <laughs> they don't like that and they'll punch you that's incredible um honestly i, we could, I don't anyway that story like i'm trying to remember like this it was I don't if I was there or not I don't think I was there because I don't remember you getting punched in the face but I know I was at a suit anyway that's not really that important but um, it's just crazy how it comes up but like your life like you were actively performing like you got called Montreal's number one performer in like 2012 or some shit like I mean number two but yeah that was okay number two is still number that means you got enough people voting that you were the illest performer to have a comp like that these aren't like insignificant things that's why like we're still like basically you're like 15 16 in your story so to speak and like we're an hour in and we haven't even hit adulthood because you've actually just done enough shit that we had to keep running it back to clarify more things i mean for somebody with a bad memory i'm gonna have to disagree with that idea it's just we don't think about this shit right we don't often even give ourselves the flowers that we claim we should give to other people yeah, how often does that come up, eh? That's a good point. But um, nah, you sh but it's also like inspiring, right? Because yo, there's gonna be thirteen year olds out there that might hear this one day and be like, "Yo, I could be Meyer at like 13. and then there's gonna be people later that are like, "Yo, I can go do everything." And then you know, there's so many angles to it. And then yo, what's Levo Violence? I'm now in my head going, "Yo, is Levo Violence still around? Are they still doing shit? I don't even know." Yeah, I should reach out to them too. I I kind of want to do more with them. Like that, that's a good thing that they're doing or did i don't know if they're still doing and if not who's the equivalent is that the next thing so like you know like it's cool to be able to walk through life and, and figure out how we can contribute or what we have already done so let's say you're part of these performances are you like going to all these bars and all these scenes with all these different things happening or are you kind of still like small scale high school and just kind of rolling through a high school version of it um so definitely like before i was old enough to drink I was still infiltrating a couple spots, uh, different bars and stuff. Um, whether they just had like lax entry or like I had an X on my hand. Uh, I still got to rock a couple open mics and stuff like that. Um, and then I became a regular performing at Crowbar. And that was where I spent a lot of my formative years. 
just rocking crowbar show after crowbar show after crowbar show after crowbar show, which is on Crescent Street, right next to Brutopia. Um, and yeah, rest in peace, Bubsy. Uh, he was uh, he was the owner of Crowbar, and he uh, he kind of always gave me feedback, and he always gave me like a place to perform and shit, a place to hang out. So that that definitely helped me polish my shit. Um, and then I got to like interact a lot with the Velvet Trench vibe. So I was like a huge fan of growing up. So for me, I, that was like a huge thing for me, just getting to like meet my idols and talk to them, uh, and like you know just fucking drink with them and shit. Um, so yeah, definitely like by the time I was old enough to perform in bars, I was used to performing in bars. And I think that definitely helped. <laughs> also, I had been drinking since 16-ish. So, it was that too. That part is a lot more, like, common. That, yeah. That, I'm, I'm, like, kind of on the weird end for not drinking at 16. But most people were. Who was in the Velvet Trench again? Uh, that was Aspen. Uh, it was fucking... Man... He went by uh, the kid Nero, which he changed to. He just goes by Mike now, I think, or Freddie Five Fingers. Uh, and then there's Aerosmith, and then there's City. Uh, am I forgetting anyone? I don't know. Yeah, I said, my fucking memory ain't what it was, which is kind of depressing. I might need another coffee in a few. Yeah, no worries about it at all. Yo, my girlfriend just sent me a message saying that they definitely still exist. Leave Out Violence Quebec is still a thing, um, which is cool. I got wasn't clear on that. No, fair enough. I was just like, uh, I feel like they came up in an interview recently, and I'm like, no, nah, shit, I can't remember it either, so my memory is blanking on me. But I talk to a lot of people, and then it all clicks later on when I'm not on camera. Uh, so Yeah, I'm, that's always how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, they go by Canahead now. That's fresh, though. So you got to be in this environment, which trained you for the environment, and then you start running your own thing. How do you get to this point, though, where you have this, like, full project that you drop that has Mocha only on it? Um, By that point, <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's a lot more momentum. Um, By that point, I was recording at Red Rhino Studios, which quickly became Studio DRX, which is the one that you came through to. Um, And that's when I started working on Nostalgic Tomorrows, um, which parallel that I had also been taking piano lessons. um, First through uh, my my first mentor, Ernie Nelson, and then um, one of his students, uh, Gregory, and then while I was like soaking up all this piano and jazz theory, uh, I asked him and his trio to um, to rock that uh, that track three on the album where there's like the whole jazz joint. So we went to a whole professional studio for that and spent the day tracking it. And that was like a whole other experience. But to go back to what you were asking, um, I was spending a lot of time at Studio DRX. I was making all the beats for that. Um, and we were recording the tracks. And I think it was still in the MySpace days, so I just reached out to Mocha only through MySpace and just asked him how much it was for a verse. And uh, back then it was 400, so it, I just <laughs> sent him the 400 and shit was done. I also got Mac Lethal on the same song. Um, and I think 
he was around the same, if not a little less, back in the days. So that's the song that just keeps appreciating the value. Uh, and I'm excited to drop a, a re-release of it soon. Yo, I just know that I got that disc because I had met you at that point. And I, I saw that and I was like, how? Because you were like young. I knew you were young, but like it blew me away. The value of just having that, like, I don't know. To me, it was, it was significant. I took you more seriously from that moment on. Like just seeing that you had that disc ready to go with those features on it. Not just like your own shit, but with like features on it of like real rap. Not to say that other people aren't real, but like with real rappers on it. Like that was no, serious. I hear you. Yeah, like that's that. like still the strategy is like, yo, that's the cosign, right? <laughs> And the fact that you paid for it and just made it happen, honestly, like, the more I look into it, the more it seems like that's how it works. This, like, fantasy where some famous rapper is just going to throw you a free verse is a fantasy. And, like, sure, it can happen, but more often than not, dude pays for a verse and works out a deal in some way. And, and then it just kind of has a value proposition, even if it's on your Spotify or whatever. You know, like, it was a good move. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I appreciate that. And the album's great. I remember bumping that shit. Yours is one of the only local albums at the time that I ever took out of a fucking thing. And I remember listening to it at work in my call center. And, like, it was it's a good project. Like, for real. Man, thank you. That's, uh... Bro, that was back. Yeah, this is essentially, like, the 10th anniversary coming up on it. We're 2021. It's 10 damn years ago. <laughs> So yeah, when you dropped that, like you pressed it and everything, did you, what, what was that like? Um, that was definitely like the most stressed out I've ever been about a design because that was the most intricate digipack I ever did. Um, what's a digipack? So digipack is like those CDs that are kind of like booklets kind of deal mm. where like, you know, they open up and fold and shit. Um, I, I was used to getting like jewel cases, which is the, the OG way, you know, with the see through back, uh, where the disc goes. And so I gotten, I think I've been dealing with the same company for a minute and was just, um, was in a good rotation of getting shit pressed. But, uh, you know, then the digipack option came around. I was like, okay, I got to go for it. And I felt like this album was going to be like my album in some sense, like, I don't know. I just felt an energy on that one where I was like, oh, I'm connecting with the type of artist I want to be versus everything before was trial and error. Um, so, yeah, that one felt like I was really, like, becoming myself. And it was just, like, a lot more raw and authentic. And I just put a lot of myself into it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just went all out on the design. Uh, I... What did I do for the design? I scanned like a million and one old photo albums, essentially, of me playing in the snow and photoshopped all those together to look like that collage that the cover is. And and then went in and designed like literally six panels of shit and then sent it to the company, got that shit pressed. And yeah, digipacks. Did you do like an album release party for it? Uh, did I? You know what? I actually... Do not remember if I did. I think I might have screwed the pooch on that one. Mm. But you're uh, still like performing all over. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I don't. When did you like really like come of age and get into the scene proper? Like, what year was that? I would say it's probably around like nostalgic tomorrows was when people started taking me like a little more serious, I guess. 
And then after that, I was just building resume. Um, and when did Nostalgic Tomorrow's drop? Was it? That was 20, 2011. Okay. So that comes out. And then I know that I come into the scene somewhere in the 2012 era. And at that point, everybody loves you, at least in the world that I'm a part of. I don't know about the whole city, but my Facebook knows who you are at this point as I'm discovering it. You're at, like, all these shows that I'm, I'm seeing. You're at, like, I'm seeing you're at all the weird shit I performed at. You're not just at, like, the regular shit I performed at. You were, like, the weird shit. Yeah, like, you got involved in a whole bunch of stuff. People were, like, really feeling you and whatnot. So, like, you had this, like, real buzz that was going on. But it was, to be fair, in, like, the 2011, 12-ish era, the scene was pretty regular for, like, having a lot of things happening. There was a lot of momentum happening. So what was it like coming into it in that era? Because keep in mind that people today and now coming into it, they don't know what it was. I have my memories, but even then it was 2012, and I was just coming into it. I didn't know shit all about shit all. You were there. Other people were there. Like Literally, the first like local event I went to, you were there. And I remember freestyling with you outside the bar one time. And then like you know this, like the CFC. It was at the CFC. Oh, oh man. so CFC. like, what was it like being a part of that wave? It was like a community, man. It was like a lot of people that you bumped into doing the open mic circuit, kind of like comedians do. Um, and then you had your staple events, like there'd always be an open mic on Thursdays or Tuesdays. Uh, I did a bunch of Wednesday CFC shows, and you would just sort of like build this run of places that you would do and. There was this never-ending resource of just, like, different artists you had done shows with, putting on different shows, being like, hey, you want to rock this one? I'm like, hell yeah. You want to rock this one? Yeah. And then we would all throw each other a set and do set for set. And you ended up rocking, like, every bar in Montreal that way. So I just sort of kept piggybacking off that. And just you trying would also to... throw events? I threw a couple events. I was better at rocking events because I'm... <laughs> not an organized person so yeah definitely like throwing on events was challenging i i did throw like a couple yearly events uh where i would always blend hip-hop and punk rock kind of thing and just do like two different genres so that was like something i remember throwing a bit damn i think we had a lot of fucking problematic flyers on that shit now that i think back to it <laughs> um yeah man so that was that was definitely like a, a staple event and then but you said there was just like the there was um open mics there yeah. maybe i was just ignorant to it but by like 2014 there was a couple of open mics that i could think of not really a lot and they were all on wednesday so you could only go to one at least for where you could rap yeah i think shit died down like so can you talk a bit more about this open mic circuit and like let's say make a case for the power of it because let's say where i'm going with this is 2021 is now the world's going to open up inevitably and then how do we recreate this community and get this kind of camaraderie that creates this ecosystem that gets like the average person who is not involved in the music scene to want to show up to these events because it's the thing to do that was always a challenge. <laughs> the majority of these events was always just like other artists and drunk people that stumbled in. Um, yeah, there was one in the basement of Brutopia. There was one at Crowbar. I think there was one at Grumpy's. Um, 
shit, there was one a Piranha Bar, I think. There's that one at Atwater Metro. No, not Atwater. Fucking Barry Ukem. Um, mm. CFC did theirs. Where else had them? I think. I think fucking uh, Mad Hatters tried to do a couple, and that was always a shit show. But yeah, there was just like the circuit of of places you went. Uh, a couple places in NDG too. There was the No Damn Good Skate Park that used to throw shows. Um, which is where I got inspired for that name. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and then, what else? What else? Yeah, there was Death House and like the Fatal Lofts and stuff there too. Um, but yeah, there was just this whole like, you know, intricate network of uh, people putting on shows, and then you would just meet people through other shows. And also, this was back in the days when KOTD would have battle raps in Montreal. I don't know if they still do. I feel like everything's. Nah. But DMS has events for those that want to, oh. like, go into that. And they're, like, doing their thing. And they're, like, putting in the work to, like, kind of recreate that. But, like, make it our own rather than be, like, a KOTD Montreal. Yeah, I hear that. Yo, um, would it be cool if I just quickly ran to the bathroom and yeah, grabbed man, an additional coffee? All right, Maya is back. We were watching okay. you yeah, grab go. this girl's fucking oh, phone oh, and, oh, like, yeah. take a selfie of yourself like while she was filming you i was wicked stills because uh just to get like a visual representation for the people here of how like actually late you are with that shit like yo i saw you interact with the crowd one time and so i do hip-hop karaoke for the first time and i'm drunk and i grab some guy's fucking head and i don't really think about the implications of what i'm doing i just saw you do some shit like that so I was like, and then I, he like approached me after and he was like, that was sick, man. You're lucky. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe I shouldn't oh, harass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it didn't really click. But yeah. It's so, definitely ended bad a couple what? times. <laughs> Sorry? It's definitely ended bad a couple times, which is why I don't do it as much anymore. Yeah, I can see how that goes. But it ended well the one time I tried it and I realized I'm not Meyer Clarity. I should not grab people or tell you know, let's not tuffle with the crowd. But like, yo, the level of interaction, the boldness, like I've seen it land a lot. I've seen you do shit like I'm not performing until somebody buys me a drink and then somebody does. And I'm like, yo, it, it might come off kind of like uh, preposterous, but like you got to understand that it's attached to this like image of a guy who's like literally gonna like wipe your fucking windows down for change five minutes later type vibe with the whole thing like it felt more like performance art than being cheap yeah yeah i definitely had that um period where i had the green mohawk and shaved the sides and shit and was leaning into the punk thing scrunchy scrunch i forgot the word can't remember the word I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, crust punk, crusty. Mm. And wow. um, yeah, I was just because like I was definitely doing a lot of shows in the punk scene, and so I was like trying to pay homage to my friends uh, by just you know putting more of that into my music and just giving <laughs> love back to that. And then MGK came out, Yellow Wolf came out, Lil Peep came out, and I was just like, okay, I uh, everyone thinks I'm trying to sound like them, and. I was just, I was just like fuck it, no more. <laughs> and now I'm back to my jazzy shit. I mean, there's still rock roots, but like, I don't know. I think I I found my own unique blend that ain't nobody else occupying. 
Fair enough. In terms of lanes. That is a huge topic. But let's go back to like you in like 2012 ish. So you're doing your performing thing. You're going through life. Um, you got your first project out. So what's what's actually going on? What are some of the more highlights or the more interesting things that happened during this era? Huh. So some of the first project. Let me think. Let me think. Um. Definitely, there was like the meet me at the park video shoot, which was like a wild time. That is a moment in time. Um. I did a lot of shows opening for people from like D12 to Yellow Wolf to like T-Mills uh, to fucking Hoodie Allen to I can't remember if I was just at the Sean Pride show or if I did a set. I was probably just there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Fuck, the list goes on. Um, man, those just like a it was just like a weird moment in time. It's hard to remember a lot of it because I spent the majority of it real drunk. <laughs> so like in addition to all these milestones I'm trying to remember back to, it's just like, okay, hazy night, hazy night, hazy night, hazy night, another hazy night. <laughs> it's like yeah. file not found upstairs. Um, no, I appreciate yeah, that. But I don't Meet me at the park was big for me. Um, I mean, I remember you posted on Facebook. I'm looking for five people to come do a backing chorus thing or whatever on a song and i said yeah and i got i had to get permission to like leave work and shit and i come all the way down to this grx studio place where you're at and then you had me buds dobsky somebody else and myself line up around this fucking microphone and do this hey oh shit and i will never forget that because yeah. like it was like a big moment i was like damn i'm in like a real fucking studio and like yo i'd never and then i ended up working there with aaron after because i was like how do i record here <laughs> i was like this is a real studio holy shit uh, and so for me that was i don't know i'm not here talking to you today probably if you hadn't made that facebook post so just to give you like the full Concept. respect of like how much that meant to me over these years like that video shoot everything like i was like i have to be at the video shoot. i'm on the fucking song kind of very in the back <laughs> man i appreciate that yo and like yeah that whole studio was a time studio drx uh fuck we worked with so many people there we had a lot of motel Raphael come through and do two different hooks on the album we had uh underground railroad that we worked with which was drx's rap group um we had srh come through who now goes by benny main um who i'm sure a lot of people know who the fuck else did we have come through <laughs> that's where i learned to comp and like use pro tools uh and shit actually here's a funny story um i was always trying to like negotiate deals and figure out like how i could shave more hours off the clock kind of thing so i ended up working for this dude and cleaning out some of these uh you know rehearsal spaces that he owned and man was that the nastiest shit ever like they had a bad relationship tenant and landlord and so like there was like fucking bottles filled with piss and like fuck you written on the wall and all kinds of crazy shit and i put up with it for a while but after like i dropped a 40 of piss on the ground and it splashed me in the face i was like okay no, 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 no. I, I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. Um, 
And so, yeah, I was just trying to like be in the studio as often as possible and taking any job, including the nasty ass grunt work, which is getting piss in your face. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's... It is what it is. It's still an issue. That building was something else, man. I remember, like, I remember going there, and after the first time going, I can never take a shit in this building in my life. Oh, that bathroom was foul. <laughs> it was just like, you know, there's, I don't know. You, you get it if you get it, but, like, you were willing to take a piss there, kind of, but it was still man. that, like, caveat. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that building. Well, it's torn down now, but it's still somehow haunted, <laughs> for sure, one thousand percent. Yeah, like Crazy there's stuff. a lot of Montreal of all genres that pass through that building. Like you would walk through and hear like death metal on your way to your hip hop session. Yeah, that's eleven eighty, man. That was like the building. I literally there was a band called Eleven Eighty that was based off of that building, <clears throat> and that was the owner of the first studio I recorded at the laboratory. Yo, tell us about that studio. Okay, so the laboratory was where a lot of hip-hop cats went before Studio DRX, I think. Unless I'm fucking up my history. But that's where Northern Lights brought me my first time. Um, man, that, like, Dude, you got Clement to, Mitch like, album. Who you went got to Labrador. watch Northern Lights and then record. Yeah, man. That shit was crazy. And I, I was, like, trying to pitch him beats, too. <laughs> uh and yeah, I don't think it was. I think the beats back in the day were pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember just someone saying, "Turn this pimp shit off," <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Okay, maybe less funk guitars next time." <laughs> but yeah, so I got to see them perform or record rather, uh, and that was like my first time in the studio, and they let me lay a verse uh, in between like sessions. Uh, I think I like just brought an instrumental off like a 50 cent record or something and I just laid my first 16 there and Meh, but like I don't know they They gave me props for it and uh, they saw that there was like potential for sure uh, I guess in like the rhyme scheme or something so you know they, they like they helped guide me in the right direction and then I just started working with lab rat a lot and um, Yeah, that turned into uh you know, me going back there over and over and recording three different EPs, four different EPs, going all the way up to Piece of Rhyme. Uh, I actually bought a beat from him, did a song with him. Um, shit, what else? I'm just trying to see, like, what the fuck am I forgetting? And then I started working with, like, DRX, and that's, like, the BYOB album where we work with everyone from fucking uh, East End Radicals to SRH and shit. So, okay, so <clears throat> the BYOB album comes out in 2015, and then there's 2012, and that's a three-year period. So what goes on during the process of creating this album in your life? Um, so I moved to Toronto around, like, 2013, 2014, and that's when I went on my first tour tour. Um, Did you move we're... to Toronto to go on tour, or was that, like, a consequence of moving to Toronto? It was just me planning like an idiot. Um, <laughs> so basically, I was going to move to Toronto. And uh, I had this tour going on with C, Notion, and the Bodega Brothers. And um, 
Oh, it's just a water wrap. Um, I'm just trying not to mess this up. So it was like Toronto. I think we did Kingston, Ottawa, and then Montreal. Um, or, you know, not in that order. But uh, I did my last Montreal show-ish, or my goodbye Montreal show. Uh, had a huge, like, almost sold out the venue kind of thing. And then we did Ottawa, which was, like, decent. Uh, Kingston, which was pretty dope. And Toronto, which I think was, like terrible and uh the headliner almost bottled one of our friends <laughs> in terms of like uh dude was being slippery with the money and shit um but like you know we we we, we made peace and shit but uh yeah i'm not trying to put anyone on blast or nothing but uh it was a wild time it was a weird initiation to toronto and so we had that like salty event where nobody showed up. Uh, it was poorly promoted and our money wasn't there. Uh, and then I, I saw my apartment I was moving to for the first time kind of deal. And uh, I, had, I hadn't I had seen it before, but I was in contact with my, uh, my roommate at the time who was like apartment hunting. And I knew him from back in Montreal. He was my old roommate's old roommate kind of deal. Um, and so, yeah, I saw my apartment for the first time and... Basically, it was like this fucking submarine with no windows, with like mold everywhere and cockroaches and shit. And I thought there was at least going to be a couch, and there wasn't. So I was kind of just sleeping on this hardwood floor with the roaches and shit my first night in Toronto. And that was like, welcome to Toronto. Um, <laughs> Holy shit. <clears throat> okay, that's Yeah, great. that was the time. That was the time. Why did you choose to go to Toronto? Everyone was telling me I needed to leave Montreal. Why? Uh, They're saying that, like, Montreal was kind of its own little sphere, in, in a sense. It's like a village kind of shit. And they're saying that, like, if you want to be successful, you have to leave and come back kind of thing. Um, and so I was trying to hit the States, but I ended up going to Toronto and um, sidestepping. And then essentially just sort of getting caught here. And, uh, yeah. That's been the trajectory. <laughs> what does that what does that mean you got caught here? Um, I would say that like cuz I was initially planning to like come here and then eventually try to move to LA or Atlanta or New York, but uh I kind of got stuck in the well what we call the housing crisis. And so the majority of like any and all budget went towards just keeping a roof over my head. And just trying to, like, keep my head in the game. And so, like, way more of my hours turned into, like, being a line cook or, like, doing work for hire shit. And way more of my focus got, like, deviated um, to a point where I was, like, I don't know. How do I put this? I guess I was kind of trapped working. And then on top of that, I started working with heavy ox in them. And I was building with Ill Vibe. And we were we were building like a whole fucking song factory empire type shit. Um, and then we ended up parting ways because I didn't like the way he was running the label. And uh, <coughs> I felt like I was like mad low priority. What's up? You're blitzing through things. <laughs> I'm blitzing through things. My bad. I'm like, like just I trying to remember it as I go. <laughs> All right. So yeah. let's go back to 
So you want to move? Not to say that because you're giving me all these great talking points to fill out the next little bit with your bits. <laughs> I fucking love it. I was like, okay, but now let's like rein you back in a little bit. Um, I gotta promote some music and shit too. <laughs> yeah, but we it's like every twenty minutes it pops up in the fucking thing. It's gonna be in the the links below. This whole thing is promoting your brands. It's yeah, more yeah, about yeah. like you. The whole rest of every other interview you're gonna go to is gonna make you talk about your current project and shit. That's this bad. is like the Meyer Clarity story where you get to like sell the people on who the fuck you are. Let's dig deep. Fuck it. Let's <laughs> do it. So like, anyway, uh, with that, well, like, so you go to Toronto with this plan of, and the tour thing is brilliant. I remember the flyer. I remember that playing out on Facebook. I don't remember why I didn't go. I think I was in my trap of call center 70 hour weeks trying to get promoted. Yeah, you know the trap. <laughs> that shit worked. Uh, but, uh, it's still like it was it was big it was a lot of hours um so you end up going to toronto uh and you're trying to basically chase the dream in a new place so right away you you get there and it's pretty hard to get started i guess you figure out a bed or a couch or whatever and you get the ball rolling but like can you walk us through a bit like literally what that's like like that sounds like a fucking movie when you like describe it like that okay like you might call yeah, it bad planning and shit, shit but like it kind of sounds like a, a movie <laughs> all right so basically that was like a pack with the essentials and brought the essentials on tour and then dropped a couple things off and yeah it was like it's a basement under yeah, it was a basement under this like two-story house uh, on a residential street, and the only window was pretty much from the shower to this schoolyard for an elementary school, which is just like, why <laughs> the fuck is that the only window? Um, and so we're just getting, I'm, I'm like living with my roommate for the first time. Shouts to Mickey. Um, he manages to land me a job at Ripley's Aquarium. But yeah, I'm just there. Oh, that's a cool spot. Oh, word. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not like okay. Like I saw the little fucking things at the end. The I forgot what they're called, but like at the very end of the tour, and they pop up out the water, and they're really oh, cute. Yeah. And I don't know, they're cute. You see, okay. I mean, yeah, they got like, some cool fucking uh, jellyfish and shit. They got a nice display there, but it kind of sucks to work there, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess that's a whole other vibe. But I went as the consumer because my girlfriend wanted to go. Oh, it's dope to be the consumer. Just yeah. not the minimum wage employee. Um, yeah, big facts. <laughs> <laughs> that's always how it goes, though. But, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture here. Yeah, Let's no, see. sorry um, about that. No, you good, you good. Um, yeah, so, like, A, I don't really know anyone. I'm kind of just, like, living on this fucking twin mattress on the floor i'm trying to set up my studio everything's in just boxes i'm working at ripley's aquarium um it's just a minimum wage job i'm biking everywhere and pretty much i'm trying to like network but i think the the whole like edgy punk shit is not flying over well in terms of like toronto and i'm realizing that i gotta soften up around the edges and then i start working with a couple cats, uh, and then I definitely I started building with Ill Vibe and them. I started touring and doing a lot of Sodi tours there. How did that's you, when I like sort of found Ill Vibe in Montreal. Yeah, yeah, initially. 
Um, um, uh, how long have you been involved with the heavy? Like, when did you get involved with them? Was that like in Montreal or something that happened after you got to Toronto? Um, so I met him originally in Montreal. Uh, he was doing this show called Survival of the Illest, I think. It was even back then. Or no, it was Hollapalooza. Anyways, uh, I met him through C. And I liked the way he ran the show. And I could tell that I liked, he was on top of his shit. He was a good businessman. Um, and so we networked. And I ended up, I think, winning my regional thing that he did. Or no, he, he had come back and done Survival of the Illest. And I won the regional event and i went up to the, like the championship kind of thing which was in toronto uh and then so that was kind of my introduction i got to like meet a lot of the people competing met a lot of the other champions from other places um yeah that was uh so that was probably like my soft introduction to toronto and then once i moved here i knew that you know he had been building and i think i had won yeah, I had won a, a music video from for winning the regional event. And so I ended up cashing that in and then just trying to build the network with him. And also that video was for a joint I did called Fever, which has D.O. on it. Um, so that's how I got to meet D.O. We both ended up rocking shit for the first time. So that was a, that was a vibe. All right, so you're in Toronto and you're working at the aquarium and you realize that you have to reshape your personality because the shit that worked in Montreal that was working there, uh, which it was working, it was doing quite well, is not going to fly in this whole new scene where this whole subculture that you were formerly a part of doesn't exist or you haven't found it. That could both be yeah. true. Um, so how do you start integrating into a scene when you drop into a new city like that? Like, let's say even with Facebook and shit, how does one just start networking? Um, man, it was tough because like, how do I even like go into this? I would say that in Montreal, it's a little easier to network because people aren't as guarded. Um, and then people become more guarded the higher the cost of living is in a city, I've noticed. And so, you know, people don't really have, like, the downtime to just interact. Like, you know, there's no TAMs or anything like that. Um, and so mostly I would meet people through either work um, or I would try to network at bars, but that never really materialized into anything. Uh, I would go to, like, every hip-hop event that I could sign up to. And it was like a lot of open mics there too, I guess. But mostly like I ended up building my social network through coworkers. That was like the majority of the time <laughs> how I met people. Yeah, it's a lot of power in that. Honestly, the uh the coworker grind is a real thing. And I only know that cuz I ended up I've been at the same company for a super long time and when I was in the call center it's a high migration in new faces and yo it was definitely able to do things like sell album tickets sell uh concert tickets and things more even pushing True music that. just on a network because literally every month you're going to encounter like 20 new faces that'll convert into at least two people that are interested every month that will have a little ripple effect <clears throat> then i got I never thought about it that way <clears throat> sorry go ahead so then i got promoted it's cool don't get me wrong. It made me a lot more comfortable in life. But I've kind of been with, like, the same 
let's say the core like 40 people plus an additional like 70 over the last like seven years that went from like a rotating pool of like 20 new people a month to like basically like yo you just see the same people they all know you rap and they all know they don't like it <laughs> i mean not all of them. fast there's like the five or six that like kind of give a shit fair but like you realize yo i'm never gonna sell tickets at work or i'm never gonna get like new fans at work but then you're at work all the time because what do you do and then it's like i don't know about the show times in toronto but montreal still did the late show thing and now i'm in a pay grade where i lose money to go to a show which is very different than like yo it's fine i have flexible hours but like yo if i have to be like smiling at nine in the morning it's hard to go to a show that starts late I have to actually use vacation days and shit to like navigate that world. So I start performing like a lot less and I, I, there's no way to create that momentum. That's why I started going heavy into the internet. I'm like, I'm never going to do this mm -hmm. in real life shit. So it's super cool that you brought up the fact that you built your social network via work. Cause I think that's such a powerful thing. That's a great question. Do shows start earlier in Toronto than they do in Montreal? And yeah. do they have the same limitation of the Metro, sorry, subway? you non-montreal um yeah so basically shit ends around two o'clock uh instead of three o'clock so we have to shift things a whole hour earlier um and then the subway closes around like i think the last one leaves the station at 105 okay so there are like night buses and there's a lot more like street cars which are dependable i would say are the street then, cars do they like uh what's the last street car what time shit i think someone all night uh or maybe at least like 350 or something so you basically have a reasonable way to travel the city at like two in the morning in a way where montreal becomes super unreasonable as of 1205 1230 yeah uh that's the one place where it has you beat but that's literally like I'm just oh, no. we're just talking about <laughs> schedules and times right all the other factors yeah. are other independent variables but i was just because i never talk about toronto like that i don't know about fucking toronto is like show times fair enough but yeah it comes up a lot about what time the shows start at here and how people who depend on public transit hate the late start times and people who don't don't Man, hate it i forgot about that whole part of it yeah <laughs> it's like I remember the Montreal shows would always start like at least at 11 and it's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, I just have this vivid memory of you brought a band to CFC and like I paid to go. I think I wasn't even performing. I just wanted to like see it because, yo, it was a vibe. You actually wanted to be at the vibe. Yeah. Um, and then you started at like 12 and I like watched half of one of your songs before I had to run to the Metro. <laughs> Oh man, fuck the metro. But like, what are you gonna do? It's a thirty dollar tax then to stay late because now you got a fucking taxi home or shit. Like, I was like, as much as I want to see all performance, that was not in my budget. Man, yeah, I think back on it now, and I'm just like, knowing how I feel now, and that I'm like tired by eight o'clock. I don't know how the fuck motherfuckers could stay to like midnight and be like, oh yeah, let's jump up and down for this show. Like, hell nah. If I was in my own audience, I would hate me. I'd be like, bro, could we have nah, done this like right. hours earlier? Because you're, well, because here's the thing there's, there is the crowd that wants to go to that, 
but I'm just saying there's the whole other crowd that launched the earlier part and there's just two different crowds per se. But I feel like the crowd that wants the later part, that's early for them. You know, they're only yeah. starting at like 12. So it's just a weird like in between. Anyway, I also just would watch this thing happen where like show after show I would open and I would have the full venue and then the headliner would have like a third of the people I had. And I was like, yo, this is fucking nuts. Like this guy's <laughs> the headliner and I have because yo, who the fuck was I? Right. So I just kept getting these opener, literally like the first or the second person. At, and it turned out those were the only good slots to have. Like the Yo. entire fucking show. I learned that from uh, touring with Illy, actually. That, like, the sweet spot was either early or in the middle. And that, like, oh, man. There's this misconceived notion that, like, you should headline and be the last. Or go at the end kind of shit. Um, but the sweet spot's right in the middle. That's when the most people are there. Or, like you said, well, opening. The middle. And, okay, when I say opening, I'm also saying, like, the show's been pushed back an hour and a half already because uh, they were waiting for the crowd to come. And yeah, so, opening of. Yeah. That's not the same thing as, like, the show started and then the middle would be at that same part where the opening is and the shows I performed at. I digress. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, it's super important stuff to, like, also identify that, like, yo, sometimes the headliner on, like, a three hour. Yo, when you see these events at a headliner, just, like, on a, another point, yo, there's, there's, like, it's, like, three hours, the whole thing. Like, the whole yeah. event. It's, like, the, the length of a movie, including, or maybe, maybe three and a half hours tops. And there's, like, breaks for pee breaks and shit in the middle. Like, they know what they're doing to keep you there. They give you pee breaks and crap. It's so fucking fascinating to watch the structure of, like, top-tier, like, events versus the local scene. I digress. Yeah, I mean, you got to break it all into it, and that's where you get people doing interludes and shit or, like, other performances or, you know. There's a million things you can do if you're creative. Yeah. I miss live, I miss live shows. Yeah. It's been a minute. It's definitely, uh, well, are you guys in lockdown? Like, what is Ontario yeah, we're like? <laughs> Bro, we still just got a new two-week lockdown. What um, does a lockdown mean? Basically means every single fucking thing is closed or only curbside pickup. Uh, you have to order food kind of shit. Uh, all the gyms are closed. Um, there's a lot of shit, like, in Dollaramas that's just, like, walled off because it's, like, deemed non-essential. But obviously a bunch of essential shit got lumped into that, so... You know, shit is going down. Um, so you're saying, man, it's dystopia out here. Like it's ridiculous. Do you guys have curfews? No, luckily we didn't really delve into the curfew shit. Mm. That just seemed like an all-around ridiculous leap in the wrong direction. It was just like, oh, okay, so like your answer to protecting against a virus is to just piss everyone off. Cool. That's a great fucking idea. 69% of Quebecers are in favor of the curfew according to recent polls. And you're just like, eh. Great. Uh, <laughs> I guess it was because these kids wouldn't stop clubbing and shit. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, in defense of all the people that are saying it, I happened to go to an end-of-the-week barbecue where they were doing their best to social distance and shit. And I thought we were, like, bad. I was, like, feeling bad that I got caught on camera this shit. So then... <laughs> I'm like cycling my way through Jerry Park and I come across this loud thumping EDM 
and I just take a peek through and my guy, it was as bad as like the Instagram stories made it look. It was like hundreds of people oh, just no. fucking raving in Jerry Park because it's big enough that there are enclaves you could throw a rave in oh, kind of like discreet like but it was like 10 p.m oh so like i mean as much as everyone wants to say it's ludicrous how do you stop that because you arresting 500 people is not the same as arresting five people <clears throat> i just yeah i don't know i honestly think that like every single which way we went about this was completely ass backwards like i don't You'll see more sense in sci-fi movies where it's like they establish a quarantine zone and they're like, okay, well, we know that no one in this place is infected, so let's just bring everyone outside in and make sure no one's infected. And da, 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 da. Like, why didn't we do anything like that even, you know? Or Why did the border I mean, stay open? Well, not only borders staying open, but like just zero resources or information being sent when it should uh no infrastructure for it they basically just told everyone all right fucking fend for yourselves let's go and then like two months later they're like oh okay here's serb you know that's fair no. i was it's employed during that part and then when shit got a little more complicated in our world serb existed so like yeah i didn't have to deal with that first part but that first part really did exist eh? where like the world shuts down and a lot of people are unemployed for like a significant period of time yeah yeah and you're just there like okay we're just being told to stay inside okay they said it's another two weeks okay now what oh just another two weeks okay oh now there's serb okay cool <laughs> after six weeks of like not knowing what the fuck is happening <laughs> and staying inside and washing all your goddamn vegetables and shit <laughs> but yeah i don't know man i can see why there's a lot more distrust for the government coming from your side of the fence than there is for mine in this moment than i ever had a realization for like, yeah not that i'm like one to think things divulge into conspiracy or not i just think that like between greed and stupidity is where the truth exists and there's definitely a lot of both of those things running the country and so i could understand why things were rolled out in the way they were rather than a sensible approach you yes. know what i'm saying it was a lot of panic and then when they realized it was serious they just ran with it and i mean i feel like at the end of the day no one's gonna have to stress about how we pay for serb it's been covered in no longer medical bills it's just the facts of this economics if you run it like you're like oh shit all those nursing homes right those were like publicly funded a lot like a lot of money went to that shit mm -hmm. i'm just saying I, mean, I don't think anyone has to panic about how we're gonna cover this it's not coming back in middle class taxes it's just it's gonna be like excessive economic growth after this shit i guess i just like this shit hit and you kind of just saw everybody's true character in a sense that's and you just saw facts. that like everyone is just sort of scrounging for resources and and then it'll like distort pieces of the truth for different people um and so for example you'll have people who like point out that they'll like mismark deaths as covid deaths right like someone will like die from a motorcycle accident and then they'll still mark it as a covid death and then they'll be like that's a conspiracy and it's not I, I see that as like 
the same shit that went down on 9-11 where it's bureaucracy and it's like if we mark more COVID deaths, we get more funding from the government. So let's do that so that we get priority because government wants to see more cases. So da 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 has so much historical precedence that I'm sold. That is probably yeah. what happens. But it's also what they do with like all of the diseases and shit. I don't know why, but like, I mean, I learned enough of them on Facebook that this isn't a first or a new. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I do get caught up reading the comments. And you read the comments and you watch the both sides and you watch the hard science versus the pseudoscience and just. I'm out. I tapped out of this shit. I, I, I yeah. tried to argue COVID for like a month and then um, sometimes I say a thing or two, but I don't, I don't know. No... I'm not like on the side of it ain't real. I think it's very real and it's fucking people up. Um, and I think long COVID's a motherfucker that I don't want to meet. Just FYI. But I'm also saying that like I can see how the government cut a million in one corners, which made shit worse rather than better in the name of reporting and how things can get skewed from that as well. Yeah, I just think um, it's wonky how Quebec doesn't report stuff the rest of Canada. Like, our, our numbers aren't reported the same. Our stats aren't reported the same. It's it's really weird when you get into it. Word. Like, there's a lot of... Yeah, yeah. Like, we don't I count... I aware of that. Yeah, we count cases differently, or at least we did at first. I don't know if we standardized. At, at some point, I just stopped paying attention there is still a curfew in my city <clears throat> i haven't been able to go and enjoy a nighttime run like i wanted to do this year all year and i can't until maybe august they're saying the fall you know it's been illegal like to have somebody come to my crib yeah the whole time it's like that's part of why this shit's online you know because they made it like super illegal in like september and it's like I mean, it was good for me, but, like, shit, after a while, you're like, I don't know if this is, like, healthy. I'm going to start it's making not, dumb choices soon. <laughs> Bro, like, that's everyone I talk to is kind of going through that, and people are like, I had to do a weed detox, you know, um, which completely fucked my tolerance now. But, uh, man, like, everyone's kind of going through it and, like, going through these weird... Uh, isolation stages and shit and so what am i trying to say here what am i trying to say i guess it's just like they tell you to stay in shape to mitigate you know the effects of this virus and then they like we're all prevented from running around and there's like this assumption that like you know you're able to just jog outside and meanwhile there's curfews and there's no ways to like stay in shape and i don't know man i'm just seeing shit like get bleaker and bleaker and i don't know if it's on purpose or by accident but it's just it's insane i, I you know like i, I like went from a transitionary phase though but go on you feel like yeah i went from like working out a couple times a week to like lying in bed for a damn year you know and just like trying to find the right medicine to like you know be okay with the world when it was on fire feeling like that's a futile plan <laughs> Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I just be—I'm just a workaholic. That's how I cope with shit. I mean, it's probably not healthy to go live every day to the extent that I do. I'm trying to vacation, still, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know uh, the routine, though. It helped. It helped a lot. It helps me to know that like there's a reason to wake up at six something in the morning every day. And but if I can't exercise properly, like just because, yo, know, it's weird. Like I'm not a morning person. And so the only times of day where like you want, like 
just to know that like 9 30 right now i mean it's better than eight trust Yo, eight's ridiculous. It's eight and three minutes. <laughs> no, dude, it was like there would be a noticeable increase in web traffic on my shit. Because I'm live. I'm done. Like, either way, I'm usually live till past 9.30. So I'm going to say, great. When it hits 10, maybe I'll notice it in my life. For real. It's like, it's a gift. Yeah, like one time I was like, I, I'm done at like 8.45. I'm like, oh, we can go for a walk. Like, yo, you shouldn't be planning life like that. That's fucking whack. You know what I mean? It like, is fucked, right? That's like... And we got so used to it so fast. And then, like, today, like, I went out and we went to the fucking bird sanctuary. And I forgot how to budget, like, go home time. I really was just so bad at, like, planning the bus route home that I was, like, late to start this stream for real. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, yo, it's weird that, like, it seems stupid, right? But as I think about it, I'm like, when was the last time I, we went somewhere? like that even because yo it's winter it's only like recent that it's nice weather right when they uh -huh. went somewhere and like i had to worry about like buses i don't know life's fucking like not i'm not excited and then having to go back to an office place sounds like the weirdest shit in the world bro i can't even fathom it but yeah like i feel like i've lost a lot of like my social education and yeah. I just like I don't know how to interact with people anymore. <laughs> I feel like a, a a robot or an alien or some shit. Um, um I can do times. like the one on ones pretty okay. But show put me in a group and watch how I'm either like dominate the conversation or I shut the fuck up and I don't say anything and I'm a fucking weirdo. Yeah. Eh? Depends on what stage of stoned I'm at and I might not shut the fuck up or completely shut the fuck up. I get comfortable or I don't, it's hard to tell. If people know me, I tend to like be like, okay, they know what they're getting. But with strangers, it's like fucking weird. I don't remember all of the rules. Like there's this whole set of rules that I got used to, like things you can talk about and things you can't talk about. And I learned this over vast years of making uncomfortable conversational choices and adding this to a thing. Like talking about rim jobs, very not, select company. Yeah. Select company. Um, <laughs> No, I, I get you. Talking about really. politics, less select company, but still pretty select. And then you can kind of gauge the hows and what. Sorry, that's my alarm. <laughs> that's that's fair. You can kind of like figure out all the different things. And then I realized I've talked to my girlfriend and a bunch of rappers and shit for a year. That changes the way you talk to people. <laughs> all of it, man. Like, I mean, I can code switch. I had a Zoom call. But like we're talking about like when we get into loosey goosey sanka set times yeah. bro i'm not ready for that i'm not ready to no. go to a party with my colleagues that is more scary than anything else even like the rap side like yo y'all see this internet polished interviewer guy mm. i'm is... just like i'm rough around all edges now i'm just completely i had like a crazy person beard up until last week um just like fully throwing myself into the like isolation station and shit. Mm. Um, and then I had to cut it off for a video, which is going to drop soon, which will be exciting. Um, but yeah, man, it's going to be like a, it's going to be a process of like readjusting the civilization. And I think a lot of people are going to like walk out of this broken as fuck and not willing to fix themselves. I don't know. Like already I'm noticing it just, in terms of like, I was on the highway today and I'm such a nervous passenger. Um, and so like Fresh Kills is driving us from Rona to Rona to pick up some supplies and shit. Um, and essentially like 
we're hitting on the highway and I'm watching like everyone's either asleep at the wheel or like crazy aggressive risky and shit. Um, and it just feels like every time I'm on the road, it's even nuttier and nuttier because everyone's been in, in this like enraged state trapped at home. And so it's just going to have its impacts on society. And since a lot of people don't go to therapy, it's going to come out in some weird ticking time bomb ways. Mm. Um, and so I'm just sort of predicting that. I predict a lot more hedonism than violence. I think there's going to be a reaction. because you're living in Montreal. Ooh, that's a good point. My city is more likely to pop a bunch of mollies and have orgies. Yeah. See, Toronto's more likely to, like, eat the rich. Or the rich are more likely to eat the poor. Uh, that is fascinating. And I really like that you said that. So, okay, let's talk about being in Toronto. Uh, you've rapped about Toronto. It's It's like... Yeah. So, like, I live in the city that willingly re-elected a fucking crack kid, the 416. I'm, that line, like, stuck out to me because it's very, like, I mean, that's exactly what happened. So, I mean, there's nowhere else to, like, put it. Um, and now it's his brother running things. It's the crackhead's brother who was a fucking coke dealer back in the day. And, like, a suburban coke dealer to top things off. And, man, he's running shit. And he's pretty much just telling everyone, no sick days, fuck you. I'm going to go build some highways. Yeah, it's, it's wild, like, when you think about it. What's it like to be in Toronto? I mean, I've seen you post a lot of aggressive things on the book with regards to things like yeah. rent and stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm in Montreal. If I think I have problems, I don't by comparison to you and a lot of the more rent issues and working life. Like, my homeboy lives in Toronto. He lives um, young in Eglinton area. And uh, I've heard him complain about shit where it feels like he has to spend more time putting into figuring out how he's going to pay his bills, less more resources, and therefore it's a slower ascent. What's crazy is this is after the lack of taxes, right? Because y'all get taxed less, so you get higher numbers. Like, yo, yeah. I found out what his net is, and his net was way closer to mine than I was like, you know, nah, 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 nah. you know sometimes you hear some numbers. Not to say I make it's just different positions, but like when this – Anyway, years ago. Um, but I and, mean, that, that and then you get to the point. Percentage. But like Sorry, it ends it. up like it's a pretty big percentage. It manifested to like a sizable number. Um, <clears throat> like we're talking a good couple, a good 150, 200 a paycheck. Like it's, it's pretty big uh, in terms of like what it could benefit or at least 100 okay. <coughs> as at your salary goes. Yeah, yeah, for real. It was like a sizable amount. Yo, Quebec gets taxed heavy, like heavy, heavy. I'd rather... I, I'd rather lose a hundred bucks a month than yeah. That's where I was going with it. <laughs> so you get to this next part where the rent gets brought up into it, and then it's like, bro, that's how much you pay. And then I went to the grocery store because uh, I've been to Toronto now a couple of times, and I remember going around the grocery store and I went my usual run of what I would normally eat, and I was looking at the prices and I was like, yo, I may as well just fucking order food at this point because like the actual price of like produce and shit isn't that far off from what i was spending at like mcdonald's or whatever which oh, is no, very yeah. different than montreal so i thought that was fascinating too like how expensive is toronto it is unrealistically expensive it is like put it to you this way that shitty apartment i moved into was 800 bucks when i moved here and now that exact same apartment with zero renovations is going for 1600 a month Wow. Yeah. That's a lot and more so, than I pay for a four and a half. Yeah. Sixteen hundred for a shitty 
fucking basement apartment that like nobody would want to live in and that's like the standard now like most basements are going for 1800 and there's nothing that isn't a basement because they tore down all the apartments to build condos and so the only thing left is people converting their basements into a place to live or an overpriced ass condo starting in the hundreds like hundred thousands and shit um and so you're just like okay well, we're doomed in that respect. Uh, and also, you realize how much daylight plays into, like, mental health and shit uh, when you don't have windows. <laughs> um, and then additionally, like, when you're living in people's basements, the noise bleeds through. So you're, like, a lot more, you know, at their beck and call. And they'll, like, tell you specific times you got to shut shit down. Um, and then, so, yeah, you're trying to, like, offset this and you're working and the minimum wage is, like... 11 bucks for the longest time now it's 14 uh and so you're all your money is going towards your rent or you're trying to cheap out on food and, and i realize it is the cycle of like so your only value is your labor but the thing is you're sacrificing your health to eat cheaper food to save on housing which is going to make your labor less effective faster and you're going to be not only are you like working against this fucking uphill just trying to save against housing, but you're also putting your body through shit so you can't work for as long just to save bucks on that house that shouldn't be that expensive to begin with. Not to mention, like, fucking, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, oh, also there's transportation, which is, like, in Montreal, the, the bus pass is, like, 80-ish per month kind of thing. Yeah, some 85, I think, now. Yeah, and it was, like, 160 in Toronto, yeah, uh, which is literally another... double. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. I looked into it because I was curious. Um, it's a lot bigger. Like, it's sizably bigger. Everything about the TTC is bigger. So, like, it's hard for me to say, like, is that a fair price or not? Like, it's just so much bigger. Well, the one thing, though, that I will say is that, like, if it ran normally then fine but it, it breaks down every single fucking day and you end up having to either uber or like yeah basically you end up having to uber which costs more money um so you can't make it to work on time ever you end up living in the outskirts of the city um just to save a buck i don't know man this shit just feels like a rigged game you know so after a while you're like okay it, it kind of fucks with you fucks with your mental health and it's kind of starting to become like a lot of what I rap about realizing that like I can't really change any of the situations I'm in but the one thing I can do is I can put it put these feelings that a lot of people have into more simple palatable terms uh and kind of just guide everyone's rage so that it's not misdirected at each other but rather at the actual culprit of why things are hard you know what I'm saying it's very rich against the machine of you yeah cuz yo Guarantee, like, rage is going to get misdirected, and the more the gentrification spreads, where it's going to spread to everywhere, I'm seeing it in your hood as well as mine, um, that's going to put people under pressure and shit, right? And the more people are under pressure, the more they're going to fucking fight against one another type deal, because people don't really have outlets, and the more, I remember the times in my life where I was more under the gun for rent, I wasn't thinking as clearly, and I was thinking the world was out to get me. Versus the times where I had more things in life, I was more focused on giving back and working with other people. And so... Shit. Okay, I hear what you're saying. There's like an actual fucking, like, measured 
balance that happens to your mental health with that kind of stuff. And so the more people get deprived of that kind of mental clarity, uh, the more shit's just going to be bleak and rough out there and people are going to be like greedy out of need kind of deal, you know, um, where it turns into like doggy dog shit. And so it's like, it doesn't just, have to be that way. And I'm trying to put that in I don't think it's going to, like, I don't know, maybe it's because of where I live versus Toronto, but I know that what I'm seeing happen um and yo shout out lindell who says you have some interesting views yeah there has been like chat interaction coming through a few of these questions might not have all been mine um oh yo actually is there a way i could peep the chat as well twitch.tv slash behind that suit although this one was on youtube but yeah yo let me get on twitch (laughs) yo hold up while we're doing that i'm gonna test something and you might annoy y'all i'm gonna run a one minute ad break because apparently that's gonna make an algorithm brute boost so since you're gonna do that anyway uh i'm testing this not because i care about ad money uh and if you're a subscriber of the channel it is what it is but basically my my homeboy lamef was like um I'm gonna tune in everyone's gonna be like fuck this guy <laughs> uh if you like run a one minute ad break it'll like make it so that when people show up at your channel randomly they don't have to watch an ad and then it boosts you in the al- algorithm so i am basically doing this as a test uh and it feels awkward because i don't want to be the kind of asshole that runs one minute ads in the middle of my interviews so chris don't edit this out this is a real thing i want to keep it in um shout out chris Crown. <laughs> no like he knows there's just some shit where i would edit it up but it's just fucking weird that this is like a thing that twitch wants you to do and then apparently what happened after is he got an algorithm boost and he started getting more random people coming through so we'll see what happens as we are back from our ad break everyone sorry about that if it was annoying was it terrible did y'all hate ad breaks you can let me know if it's like the worst experience ever because apparently this buys us 20 minutes of no ads for the people who because yo if you click off and you click back on you have to rewatch an ad it's just the real reels of twitch right now i'm still watching this ad (laughs) (laughs) dang i mean i don't it's not even like ads is good money on twitch it's like everything else that's good money on twitch so i'm okay with not having ads i I would rather not it just comes with the territory um student of twitch oh there we go we back we back yeah uh i ran an ad uh i don't know if you saw the ad or not i hit the one minute ad oh clarity sees the ad because clarity comes to the channel just now so um i don't know maybe not everyone gets it i ran the one minute ad break I don't know it seems to be random it's a fucking experiment that's what twitch is we're all learning together it's like a community it's this place where a lot of us who maybe maybe some of us are in positions where we're feeling more charitable and giving back because privilege in our lives fair enough but it still lets us look at the circumstance and see a different outlook on this i'm seeing a lot of people becoming aware that mental health matters for the first time in their lives as in all of them Every one of the people you described is at least aware of it for the first time in their life that maybe there is something to look at. I'm watching people understand themselves better. And while there is a lot of rage and lack of outlets, that's fixable. Honestly, it's a lot more. Tinder will fix a lot of that once you're allowed. Um, I promise there's going to be a little little baby boom if you, if this is my prediction. 
I swear. Oh, even... No doubt, no doubt. The COVID baby boomers. Because right now it's like, ones. yo, everybody's libido is probably low right now is the facts of it. Like, I don't think people's really like, I mean, you're either not getting any because like you can't and so you're probably willing to smash anything that walks or you've had access the whole time and life got in the way and you're like in that mopey vibes. Yeah. I'm in my mopey vibes, but no, nah, we, we all right. We, we doing all right. No, nah, I just mean like everyone. I don't mean it like anybody's individually. I mean, I predict though that when the times get like you're allowed to go out and you're feeling the vibe and you're able to just be around people and that like euphoric real life, everyone's going to be a little wild. Once again, much. Actually, yeah, you know, I can see that being a lot of other places. And to a certain degree, there's like negative visualization that I'm doing in terms of like the housing crisis. Um,. No, I mean, I'm sure like, people are gonna be like. But I know. think that with the internet, it creates a lot more opportunities for outlet. Like, here's an example. There's this dude I met in Gatineau, right? So if we're gonna talk about a place where your hip hop struggle is gonna be real, it's gonna be Gatineau, right? <laughs> um, so he he creates this thing called Bring the Bars. So he does this like facebook group and you know what he does he listens to everybody's music and creates this listen for listen thing it's not follow for follow it's listen for listen which is nifty because at least now you have to listen to people's music and then he finds like his like 30 best homies out of this and they kind of move it to the next thing and he ends up throwing an award show for the squad and i'm like let's be real this type of shit couldn't have existed before so no but now we got all the time to just sit here and like do things build that yeah and i think that's Um, where like the outlet situation changes it's not true fully and 100 percent true that people are completely without options i think we just have to learn to accept that there will be new options available for us and we have to find those but talking about soft dick I have to go to the bathroom again i will be right back don't worry about that (laughs) at all you're back i had you like covered up I was doing this did i comment on your music videos game and i'm like i'm failed at this game i was not doing high on my ratio <laughs> and then i saw oh, bows podcast commented and i'm like ah oh, c's fucking real real c's in the house nah he just commented Sorry. on your music video a year ago and i was oh, like okay. that yeah, makes yeah. him a real real one nah but oh, c's oh, cool yeah 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 he's a he's a uh, dope one I like him a lot. I ran into him in uh, Tiffany one time in Mount Royale. Just we had a whole chit chat. This was since the pandemic started. It was one of the only social interactions I had. And it was organic, right? Like when you bump into a friend and you stay two meters apart and you feel no guilt because like you didn't actually plan it or anything. Yeah, that's the OG power couple. (laughs) Nah, they're real real cool. Just seeing Tiff um fair enough actually he's got he's got music coming out soon that we worked on together um i produced a whole album for him uh called relentless yeah that's fresh yeah we started that shit in 2015 and he's been polishing off the songs and they sound incredible they sound amazing and they're gonna drop hopefully this year um so shout out to see but he's a very not spilling the beans (laughs) busy guy like they've got like everything going like they've got multiple ventures going that are really interesting from like social media optimization to beer a lot of beer yeah they uh they're really good at juggling and like wearing multiple hats and i'm finding less and less like i'm finding myself less and less adept at that 
where like I tried to do it all, but like I got played my strengths a bit. You know what I mean? They definitely fifty down, like triple down on their strengths though. So it's yeah. like a little less that like not to like break the illusion, but they do a lot of things that are very similar. And it's just amazing because they're able to go corporate with it and then go fun with it. But it's ultimately the same set of content marketing creation world, right? And even music yeah, in a true. sense can be boiled down to in the internet era, at least content marketing. Even and that like, whole piece they wrote about like charging what you should or what you expect from customers, like help me get a whole new price bracket. Sorry, I cut you off there. What were you saying? <laughs> Nah, it's I don't know if I saw that piece, but I can see how it's a powerful thing. I, I've definitely like heard them talk about stuff like that, and I've seen a recent thing on that subject, so it might have even been theirs. I don't know. But charging, charging what you're worth is a fascinating thing. I saw, you know what I saw? I saw somebody post the weird question is what's your budget, as in like yo, that's a weird question to ask somebody because it almost sounds like you're trying to optimize what you can get out of a person rather than assessing your value as a person and knowing the value of what your services cost true that eh i mean i i do know that like there's a stark difference between what people on the west coast versus east coast are willing to pay for shit i think but that being said um yeah i always feel weird asking what's your budget i always feel like it's gonna fuck me over in the long run i'm like why negotiate when, when i just set you know Mm. I'm 500 I'm 500 a beat yeah it's a good price though yeah that's um, right man I gotta get back to the production game you're a very um, talented producer yeah I mean speaking of the production game I actually do have a bunch of stuff coming up uh, in terms of like things I produce for others as well as myself um, I got that me and Boney EP uh, that you've been hearing singles from with uh, somebody fucking up and my way and all that on there. So that's dropping uh, on the 11th of June. I'm mad excited about that. So I'm going to have to send that your way for a sneak peek. Yeah, that'd be dope, though. Um, but for real, like, uh, how's the live scene in Toronto outside of open mics? Um, It's getting tougher because more and more venues are shutting down uh there was like there's like sub pockets in a way where like you could have like three different rap scenes and none of them know ab about each other which I've, I've found a lot um so that that type of shit happens and then there's like an indie scene that seems to flourish um that's mostly localized downtown uh the punk scene has like a couple venues uh and then there's like a big ass edm scene they got a whole beach <laughs> and then yeah i don't know it's a it's a different scene i guess versus like montreal is kind of all jumbled together a little bit and like all packed in like crescent street or st lawrence yeah it's been shifted right like especially when they start banning hip-hop Oh man, well that was just a fucked up policy to begin with. I mean, it's I don't think that everything's bad right now, but I also just get the feeling that not everyone's gonna welcome back hip hop with open arms in every venue. It's not like I'm pretty sure that like you'll get like a tax, as in you'll be allowed, but yo, what you're gonna get when you find out it's a hip hop show, it costs this much. <clears throat> 
That's what I think. Yeah, but yo, I'm just... like, I'm like, yo, there's no way that like George Sardinakis or whatever the fucking guy that bought all the bars. I can't remember the dude's name. Sardinakis like, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that dude. Sergakis. Yeah, Sergakis. So that dude, like, yo, he was already copping like everywhere legit, and then raising the drink prices. Uh, Belmont yeah. got sold. The drink prices raised, and we what this raising drink prices thing did was it like made it really hard for me to convince anybody I know to go to this shit. Because like yo, like yo, I swear, twenty dollar pitcher rum coke Belmont, my guy, you sold tickets just by saying those words. People really like twenty dollar rum and coke pitchers. They don't actually give a fuck. They're just like, I can get drunk on that cheap, and they in. Now as a sales pitch, we gotta rethink the block party. Yo, the block party is a big move. I was thinking private parties in general, loft parties. Yo, cause yo, the venues. Look, it goes live again. How many venues died? I'm sure it happened in your place. Who's going to buy all, all this shit? Here, it's fucked. Who's like, g- but who's going to buy these venues? Who's going to own this that's shit? That's the thing, is that they're all turning into condos one by one. <laughs> and so it's just like, that's why I'm noticing this trend everywhere. And I'm seeing like everyone hopping on this like real estate hustle. It's like, there's cryptocurrency that everyone's hopping on. And then... If you got like a bigger ass budget, you're hopping on real estate, which is like the cryptocurrency of rich people in the sense that no one knows what the fuck they're doing or funding and they're just hopping on it versus like you'll look into cryptocurrency and find out, oh, okay, cool. Like this is human trafficking. I fucked up. I shouldn't invest in this. (laughs) I mean, that's a big statement. Um, But anyway, Bitcoin has a fascinating history, but um, it's a big statement. Uh, some cryptos are legitimate. Some cryptos are things. I, I don't know, man. I just have avoided a lot of crypto because I said yeah. this feels like gambling and I don't want to make a lot of money gambling. That's that's one of my biggest fears is is to like, it seems stupid, right? But what happens if you like put $20 into a crypto and you do make 50K? Yo, like, how are you going to perceive gains, like, in the future? How are you going to ever recreate that dopamine hit? Like, yeah, like that's what I think. So like I think wireless. about it like that, right? Like, I remember, like, like, I remember watching my dad deal with gambling, and it scared me a bit. So with this, like, whole thing, I'm like, yo, so maybe, yo, like, if we had just put money into Doge, right, my debt's clear. It's like, pfft. Now I'm indulging thoughts like that, right? Like, could have just invested in Doge. And then you look at the Doge and you look at all the crypto just crashed. And I'm like, yo, but what happens if that solves all my problems? What do I learn? What is like the lesson? How do I handle my money better? Am I going to have the discipline or the self-control? Yo, there's like so many factors that come with getting 50K liquid at one time that are like, I don't know how to deal with. But I know I watched a lot of people do DMT after posting about crypto. Oh, for real? There's a correlation of that. I happen to like I found into a pocket of people by like Waterloo, which is where a lot of new millionaires just existed. I promise. I promise a lot of new money just hit Waterloo because that's yeah. like the big tech college of university in uh, Canada. So anybody there would have known about crypto and really known about crypto, right? So a bunch I've of people. Sorry, go ahead. And then all of a sudden, you know, some of these posts get wild in these comment threads. I want to like go into name. Some of these posts get wild, and a lot of them did DMT like not long after making crazy money and driving in Lambos and shit. And you're like, wow, yo, imagine going from broke to DMT and Lambos. 
your life changes significantly. Yeah, I definitely didn't do anything on Dogecoin, but like all the apps I have prevented me from buying it. They're like, you can't in Canada. Mm. Which like I'm seeing a lot of. I'm sure there's a way to go around it, but I just don't fucking have the patience. And this shit's annoying. I don't know, man. I just feel like there's a stress with it i'm not like they all say don't put money in you're not prepared to lose and i'm like well i don't have money i'm prepared to lose <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like, i have this uh i have like a small system set up where like, um, <laughs> it's just like anytime it bleeds over a certain amount i put it into a different account and then i just mm. sort of trickle that down and then i create piles of 50 and just build multiple piles and i mean that's like just I respect Overtime that. Time pennies. I figure that shit pays exactly as much as like a Spotify play. <laughs> Yo, I run my Spotify overnight sometimes a lot. I mean, I forget to do it, but when I'm real vigilant, I can pay myself $15 a month on Spotify plays. Yeah, I uh, have this nighttime playlist thing set up actually for all the no damn good people. Mm. Um, and I just run through it once a night when i remember to do it and that could at the very least pay for your spotify <laughs> no, it, it, like it does though you know like me and my girlfriend and then i have a couple of other people on the squad that are willing to do it here and there and it can average at 15 a month there you go and you got bill catalog that way um, you should join the no damn good playlist <laughs> uh, yeah for sure i like that idea um Okay, so the live scene's in a weird place. Uh, the geography of Toronto is huge. So, and you're basically trying to deal with it. Cause that was another thing my friend pointed out about trying to find a job was that he could not find a job that paid him well that was within realms of what he could travel to. Yeah, that's like the tricky part that I was talking about where you like end up living on the outskirts of the city, but the jobs are on like the complete opposite sides. A lot of it's built for cars and uh not for public transit in that respect um and especially like if every single commute with public transit is like a gamble on whether you're gonna get trapped in the subway and be late to work that's just like so that you have to budget a whole extra hour into your commute which ends up being two hours or potentially longer um Man, it's nerve-wracking, you know? Like, there's only so many hours in the day, and imagine adding two hours to and from work, and you work a double, you're just gonna fucking destroy your own life. You're just gonna, like, probably eat like shit, or drink like shit, or, you know, sleep like shit. It's gonna take a toll. Um, so that, you know, that definitely presents a problem for a lot of people. Uh, oh, but they... Drive. So I can see how that's going to make a huge push for working from home, actually. Bonnie brought that up in the chat, work from home. Yo, because I don't feel like half of this shit because I don't have to go anywhere. I'm just able to work right here from this very spot. Yeah. Working from home is dope. I, uh, I'm still, like, wrestling with finding the discipline to do it. Like, I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm realizing more and more, like, how ADHD I am. And I've been trying to find the right meds for that shit. Uh, and so I've been toying with Wellbutrin for a bit, but now I'm off it trying to find a better med. And so, I like, did. it's frustrating because it will literally affect my career and my response time, this, like, crucial posts kind of thing. Um, or it'll change the nature of my mood so that I'll rant more. And it's like, I'm just trying to pursue mental wellness, and it's like this fucking minefield that I'm navigating through. And in real time, I'm watching these resources get gutted. 
so that like they're discharging people early and shit and like my psychologist is gonna be like okay yeah so we're discharging you in like two weeks kind of thing and i'm like yeah okay but like the fuck meds am i supposed to take (laughs) so it's this like thing that's just evaporating fast um and man i don't know it's just like a it's wild times and so trying to work from home on top of wrestling with all of that on top of like finding where i can even like you know work from not even technically like having a full space that i live in kind of deal because uh I'm, I'm living with people um yeah man shit takes a toll as well yeah, that's like with all of that though you were still able to drop multiple projects yeah we still got the album dropping on the 11th so like i i definitely found a couple grooves where i was able to just like zone into certain projects and so we ended up dropping you know like my way and somebody fucking up and uh eye for an eye which i still have to send uh the share of the proceeds to the innocence project today because it was music industry payday um so i gotta calculate that tonight and then yeah uh still staying consistent i mean i'm lucky i got a good team of people around me in terms of uh boney washington and skeevious tips and danielle noel who are all super talented and run the label um and I've also been working with Mac Downey, uh, just in terms of like networking and shit and trying to plan the year out. So, you know, luckily I got like a good circle of people. And also, I run a lot of shit by my girl. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you're fun. only as good as your woman, right? Yeah. I run a lot Shout of shit. Emma. I get that a lot. Uh, it's very handy to have a good woman base. Yeah, I literally heard this dude say that people who find a partner that's suitable for them end up having a net worth each increase of 70 percent i was like that's serious that's like a huge stat to like pro marriage maybe not marriage per se but pro union with somebody (laughs) you gotta find your puzzle piece man that's what it is so yo um how are you adapting to the virtual realms I mean, I know you've dibbled and dabbled with the Twitches and you've got some stuff that's coming on, but could you see yourself actually like getting onto a regimen of doing some Twitch shit? Cause like, yo, even just you telling Meyer stories would attract people. Right? Yeah. I mean like, so the way my brain works is I'd need to have a partner in that endeavor who is very like time management focused. Um, and that might change, you know, depending on, like, when Emma and I move out and get our own space. Because we're crashing at her parents right now. This mm-hmm. is a sewing room. Uh, but it's also a makeshift studio. And, yeah, so, like, you know, depending on if we get our own spot, like, you know, noise levels and shit will differ. And we could do different things. So I might, like, start a morning show or evening show or whatever. Um, but yeah, for the time being right now, I kind of need that extra push to like show up. Uh, and that's just me being like real about where I'm at in terms of discipline. Um, I'm still figuring out like shit in terms of like wellness and just, you know, exercise and all that. So I feel like this year kind of threw all my balances off and now I'm just rediscovering my like self balance and career balance. And so to answer your question in the most long-winded way I can, um, yeah, Twitch will be a part of that. <laughs> and it'll be like, it's a it's, it's a piece of the puzzle I want to get to, but like, 
at the time being, I'm just trying to figure out where that fits into the schedule. If you know what I'm saying? Nah, it's a super legitimate thing that I don't think a lot of people consider. Like, I'm super pushing uh, Twitch on everyone, but that, like, schedule thing is big. Like, yo, knowing that you have to go live, like, next week I'm off, except that I'm not. I got to go live Monday through Thursday at, like, whatever, 5.30 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like I'm not really off, and then it's like you have to structure your whole day around streams, and like there is this really big time commitment of like really like commitment. And if you're doing it right, you have to be regular, because yeah. otherwise, like yo, maybe what happens is next person goes on to the next person's stream and sees something else, and boom, you lost them just because you were late. <clears throat> like that's a real I mean, thing shit happens. Happen. And also. It's worth noting that, like, my schedule does fluctuate quite a bit in the mm. sense that, like, you know, I'll get into a routine and then something will happen and then we shift gears slightly and, and now I'm doing shit at a different time or pace. Um, yeah. These are all realistic concerns. I don't actually think the live works for, like, I mean, I think it's, like, there's a million ways to approach it. It doesn't have to, like, fully be regular. I'm still trying to figure it out. I find that there's a power in regularity because it lets people plan their lives in anticipation of your show. I'm looking for like regularity. So like, you know, I can see that there's a couple clubhouse rooms I'm on where it's like, I'm Yo, counting what? on them to be open at the time they're open kind of deal. What's clubhouse? Like I can't, I'm a Samsung person. So I'm... oh, you a Samsung guy. Yeah. I think they just made it available. Did they? Um, but, no shit. Yeah. You should get on that motherfucker. It's dope, but there's also a lot of trash. So it's like, I don't know. There's like a bunch of scammy motherfuckers. And then there's just like thirsty shit. And then there's ratchet shit. And then there's deep shit. And then there's politics. And then there's like uh, civic talks, philosophy. And like depending on what you look for, you'll find it. So it's kind of like... There's a million and one rooms with a million and one conversations happening. And depending on what kind of mood you're in, you can walk into that room and have that conversation. Yeah, I swear I just downloaded Clubhouse. I'm like fucking tripping that this is available on Android. I didn't even know. That was a thing when I learned for the first time. There's what I call the Apple tax. where um, Apple tax? I can justify it in a long-winded way on tech reasons why an app developer would, in fact, go through Apple and not Android to build out exclusivity. And the quickest version is, um, who the fuck's poor with an iPhone? Uh, That's the real answer. I mean, there are, but, like, at some point or another, like, the average person on an iPhone 6 through 10 has a higher income threshold slash potential slash will make more money. This is just stats. This is my opinion. Then uh, the Android sphere, because you have to keep in mind, um, there just really aren't cheap iPhones around the world. Like you talk about somebody in Ukraine, Pakistan, uh, places like that, uh, they, they can't afford iPhones. It's like the super yeah. wealthy that get the iPhone. So like when you talk global markets, everything, yeah. everything, right? Basically, end of the day, a person on an iPhone is a lot more likely to spend 5 to $10 on your app that's what it's going to boil down to because they're not going to think twice because they can find afford the iphone in the first place (laughs) you're in a position in life that lets you get an iphone 
at that <laughs> point your perception on apps is different whereas android has models that are dirt fucking cheap on the same operating system as me so you unlock it in the play store and you unlock it to the world so uh clubhouse leveraged exclusivity like a motherfucker it has re-inspired my entire approach to what i want to be with my brand they um made it iphone uh sorry they made it invite only so i got a clubhouse code like mad early it was great mm -hmm. And then I couldn't put the app on anything. It was terrible. It was like December. <laughs> I, I got you the yeah, fucking code. That. that was dope. I was able to yeah. help there. But like, yo, so Clubhouse appears. And then I realized in this time, oh shit, they're not going to release this to Android because they want celebrities on it. That was part of their marketing. Was that like the cast of the Lion King did Christmas carols. Now they wouldn't do this if all of a sudden Clubhouse was like open to the world and everybody, you know, the celebrities ain't going to be in Clubhouse like that no more. They're already on to the next thing. Yeah, they're starting to dip out fast. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's weird. And I was just sort of hearing it as like, you said the cast of Lion King was on? Yeah, uh, December. But I just heard cast and I was like, Oh, yeah, it's like a cast system of, like, oh, they only let the iPhones, which is yep. implied luxury and the wealthier, and so it was this luxury thing that only, like, the wealthy could attend, and, yeah. And I'm seeing so much divisive shit like that lately that it's just kind of depressing. I think and it's like, just that it's, it's like, that has always been there, but it's never been so transparent, as in, like, you can't hide it no more. But, I mean, even then, think about it. I was, I made a terrible business choice getting this phone in hindsight when i easily this shit costs the same as the iphone it's not like there's a mm. fucking difference i could have got the iphone but on some fucking iphone shit i didn't and then i discovered this tax later on my clubhouse and then i thought yo what did i miss like what oh, how much is in the app store for apple that like i never heard of that i just how many waves or individual things or ideas that turned into apps i used that were there that I never heard of over the last Yo. like seven, eight years. And now I'm like sitting there tripping like, fuck that. Now I have to get an iPhone. Fuck that. And then I found out about this blue and green shit and that there are girls that will not respond if you have the wrong text color because you're on an Android. And that's a real thing in Tinder land. And I thought that was a joke. I've heard a couple of people and they kind of made it sound like they were joking but they also kind of made it sound like they were not joking. And I think it's more like, yo, if you're an iPhone person, you follow this cultural set of norms. And you, if you Android, you follow this set of cultural norms. And they, at a base level, in an online dating world, you do to make snap decisions. It's the only way to filter. A couple of things I want to add on to that, actually, um, would be... Shit, now, now my brain's like deviating in two different directions. But... Going to the iPhone thing, like, and all those memes that we see. Did you know that Apple actually spends money on a department to make those memes to put out and leak out into meme culture um, to imply that Android is an inferior product? There's That's actually been documented, I think. That's amazing. Kudos Unless, to Apple. That's gangster. Yeah, yeah so that's some, that's some crazy shit. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is, like, talking about caste systems or just like wealth and like have and have not kind of thing i've even noticed that here in toronto in terms of like the coffee selection like 
upper class or like richer people will get Starbucks versus like working class and construction workers will get like Timmy's. And so there's this red cup walking around and then there's this white cup walking around and it's just like, you know, uh, yuppies and working class kind of shit. And I'm like, oh, that's even weird of a divide, like just down to the fucking street level kind of thing. That is a huge thing I'm going to look for. I bet it's real. I don't really yeah. see people doing Timmy's runs in my office place. They don't do it. They do. I mean, okay, there's a few people that really like Timmy's, but like, nah, people go to Starbucks. That's like the flex. You want to show up. <clears throat> there are literally people that will like prank each other by buying them like fucking pumpkin lattes and shit. Like it's a prank to buy somebody the wrong coffee from Starbucks. That's a real thing in my company. <clears throat> Damn. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in the Starbucks club, but like you have to participate and it's a club. So you have to show up with four Starbuckses to get in the club and then you initiate it and then the next person does it and then the next person. And so they create this circuit of like people buying like and with Timmy's, the man, you can just on $10 buy that whole motherfucker, show up with some cups and be like coffee. Going back to what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, right. I'm kind of in this weird position where like I'm stuck getting Starbucks. Because I'm in this fucking Tim Hortons boycott. Um, what? <laughs> well, basically, when the shit hit the fan with COVID, they kind of strongholded their employees and was like, okay, well, if you take a sick day, you're fired. But also, uh, you have to show up regardless of this COVID shit. And uh, they kind of just put people in a position where they were fucked if they did and fucked if they didn't. So I was like, how are you going to fire people in the middle of a pandemic for getting sick and, like, not offer them sick days? So, yeah. I was like, okay, well, that's kind of gross that Timmy's did that. So, on principle, I'm not going to get their coffee anymore because it was shitty anyway and it was cheap and I might What's as well just... What's crazy is that there's no in-between. There's no other option. It's just, like, Starbucks or, like, like there's no, like, just random coffee shops. Fewer and fewer. And all the random coffee shops that there are are, like, it's not like a mom and pop joint. It's like a bored, rich ass millennial kid kind of thing, mm. where it's just like super posh and like super. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but it was just like not inviting vibes. It's just like very like yuppie and like you know. Yeah, I like you. They want you to stick around and buy like five other things rather than like get a coffee and go. Yeah. I feel that, but that's also fascinating because I never thought about that coffee cup test. I'm gonna fucking really look for that for real. But that's yeah, like it's a, a trippy thing once you realize it. <laughs> but it's nifty that you're seeing it because it's gonna play out pretty much everywhere. It's gonna be in the virtual realms. It's gonna be in like yo, even with Twitch. I mean, I have a better computer than other people, so I can just kind of test things faster or have a more privileged operating. Even my boy's computer renders video slower than mine. Just these little things like stack up and like, you know, to be able to get that shit. I mean, I can't make a move like that now, but to be able to make a move like that, like you don't often get opportunities like that. And I don't often personally consider the struggle of like the situation where you just stuck in your room and you don't even know how you're going to make that initial bank. So you're staring at like a crypto and you're staring out of this and this becomes like the only options. Yo, not to mention that, like, I don't know about other people, but I've noticed that, like, my dopamine 
receptors have been going crazy with like social media and shit to the point where I'm way more addicted to social media than I used to be. Mm. Um, and I think it's because of a lack of like physical exercise and boundaries and going outside so that like I seek my enjoyment and I seek my little excitement from like sugar and social media and bad things. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just like, that's going to have weird fucked up long-term effects for sure. Um, I mean, I'm and just it can't like, be healthy for your psyche. I mean, I just got really used to talking to people on Zoom calls and shit. Like, yo, this is my social life. And this is healthier than social media, though. Yeah, like, but it's all live. Dude, half my life is not streamed live. I started going, holy fuck, like, what's that going to do to me? Honestly, <laughs> to know that, like, you, can, you get used to it, right? At first, it's, like, weird. At first, it's, like, really overwhelming. But still, like, now I just look at, like, fucking three screens, and I'm checking, like, 17 things at once, and whatever, whatever, and I'm just so used to this, like, ADD fucking version of a conversation where... <laughs> I've learned how to listen while like running a show at the same time kind of thing. And it's like, that's got to have like a weird impact on like my future social interactions. Like, that's I don't like know. evolution, but also you're going to have a lot of ADHD. Yeah. Like it just doesn't feel like, like, I mean, we're creating like a, like, it's like, this is it. This is my best I'm getting. I try as much as I can to keep it like natural. And it's not that different. Like you've met me and you know, I'm not that different, but like, you're still like this hyper aware being watchness that comes in these moments. And I've gotten like really unsure of where the line is like back to that. Where's the line thing? Like mm -hmm. what's appropriate It's somehow it's appropriate for me to smoke joint, say fuck and talk about what I want to the internet in front of the same people I work with, but doing it in person to their face becomes inappropriate. And also posting it on social media is inappropriate, but doing it on video is appropriate because it's part of this show and this character or i could bust anything i want into a rap song and it's like totally fine i can say the most yeah. whatever shit i want for the most part but like you repeat the word and it's like yo that's so fucking weird like it plays with my mind a bit sometimes it makes me not comfortable talking to a lot of people as openly unless it's in these oddly controlled contexts where like and even then there's witnesses there's another like everyone's seeing everything they can say here i don't have to worry about shit yeah no that's true and um it's definitely like a groove i gotta get back into because uh like i've noticed that like there were times where i was able to sort of get a momentum for like talking to the camera and stuff but i've since lost that um you're totally so crushing this that, though i appreciate you um uh, yeah this is mad fun by the way thank you so much for having me on yeah this is an absolute pleasure i love it like this whole vibe it, you know, you're like uh you're like one of those people that's super special in my story and it's like it's just my privilege to be able to like talk about the incredible things you do man. but then the fact that we also get to just talk about some real shit dude my girlfriend doesn't want to talk about the housing crisis in toronto with me <laughs> <laughs> i mean i get that shit like yeah because it's just bleak man people don't want to think about bleak shit the world's dark so like but then also there is a lot to be said for venting um yo but here's the difference you haven't heard everything i think before bro there is nothing that has evolved in and she's here she's here whether she's gonna hear it in a clip or that she's gonna hear it a hundred times I, on the interviews in real life when i've answered her yo that conversation is stale as fuck it's just kind of like who else am i gonna talk to yeah so, same with same with me and my girls like she's tired of hearing me bitch about gentrification but she hates it too though yeah, but it's like, 
it's like nobody's satisfied with that arrangement because it's not like she's not doing her due diligence she is she's playing she's the best but like i mean we already talked about it eight months ago and since then it's just wow myers version <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah yeah i hear that so, interpretation so it's like at least like this is fresh you care Yo, man, I talked to some people, like, I hung out with, like, one one or two people in real life, and it was just, like, having regular-ass conversations has never felt so good. Bro, yeah, I can't imagine that, man. Uh, <laughs> it's so wild, man. I feel like I've been radicalized over the last year on some shit. All I think about is guillotines and eating the rich and that I don't is... fucking know definitely an intense series of things but i mean yo i took wellbutrin for a while it was the worst six months of my life yeah i don't love it either um, i think it might have fucked my heart out too man i don't know i definitely bounced back off of it but it was six months i took it i thought i was gonna die at one point i sincerely remember thinking i was gonna die i remember taking too many sleeping pills right when heath ledger died to be fair when i say sleeping pills i say sleeping aids which i found out are not the same thing and i remember taking like seven of them and just like praying i wasn't gonna die because heath ledger had just died but like yo that shit got me i couldn't i couldn't fornicate correctly it was very complicated everything about that pill fucked up my whole life. i couldn't write music right I couldn't do anything. I didn't feel creative. I didn't feel like a human. And then I stopped and then I got addicted to weed. So who the fuck am I to approach what the right way to do it? Uh, don't be like me. There are cheaper ways to fucking get your fix. So far, weed has been like the most successful band-aid out of all the band-aids. It's just so expensive. That's the yeah, problem. But like, what it might cost in expense, it like, saves you in overall cost in mm. terms of like the side effects of a lot of medications will fuck your liver or different organs up um versus weed well, i guess it fucks your lungs up a little bit to a certain degree but nah, not mean, as bad i realized like pain. with the amount that i smoked over the last like decade i could be in a super different place in my entire life uh with everything like i'd have like dividends and shit but then I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you and that you'd like me. That part wouldn't necessarily be true. So it's like I could be a rich douchebag that nobody likes because, yo, you, people, people wouldn't have liked the version of me or like really high and not doing as well as I probably should be given what I do as well, you know, my life because of like poor like choices and impulsiveness. But like I love my life. I sincerely... Yeah, have finally reached a place where with all the stresses and whatever's i kind of love my life and i think that a lot of it came from smoking copious amounts of pot in for me not because it was good but just too many amazing things have happened related to yo you want to smoke a joint in my life like that sentence is like magical in my world man yeah there's a lot to be said for it it's like a whole sub community and it really does like shift your priorities into like a more wholesome direction i'd say mm. a lot of the time there's and no so, way i'm going to fucking look at birds sober but i was high <laughs> so i gave a fuck about the heron and then i was willing to look at the fucking red winged blackbird yeah you just take interest in everything and you're not so focused on like everything you've been told to focus on growing well, up myself is one of the things i'm really egocentric yeah. <laughs> i mean i think we all are when we don't smoke 
But even when we do smoke sometimes, I don't know. It's an ongoing struggle. I'm mm. a little bit of a narcissist. Um, yeah, I relate. But I have a good woman who is very capable of knowing the right set of cr moments to cry and shit to make me feel like an arrogant asshole and reconsider all of my values if she needs to. So I appreciate her greatly for that. But yo, without Bonnie, shit. I don't even think I'm anywhere at this point. I'm not just saying that. I don't even know if she was listening at that moment because she like half listens to this shit. But like for real reals though, nah, she's there. Plus I have a great boss. I know that you've gone through the version of work that doesn't have a great boss. <clears throat> and as much as I have a lot of feelings, my direct boss has spent like five, six years being like, Holden, your rage is justified, but you're not going to make as much money with it. Let's work on how you can communicate better. And he uses this fucking voice, okay? It's my, like, make fun of him voice a little bit. Sorry if you ever see this, Richard. But all my colleagues know what's up when I drop that because he's really like that. But <clears throat> this guy managed to flip his way to, like, director in a software company on peace. He's, like, the peace path. Like, you know when you have a war path and a peace path and an evolution game and you can choose yeah. to be violent or diplomacy? He's diplomacy and success, and I've never seen that before him. But I watched him milk the. I watched him do it all, do everything the aggressive salespeople did, via kindness, diplomacy, and helping others. And I'm like, bro, that's real. So I got to see like the one guy do it the one time, and I guess that's the guy I work for. So it's helped a little bit with like thinking work can be different. It's like then, watching a samurai versus watching <clears throat> just like, a, yeah, uh, a drunken British soldier with a sword. <laughs> But sure, if I have to think back to like being in call centers and shit, or like, yo, I've done some factory shits. Like, man, I remember being at the La Senza distribution center with people who had been there for like 15 years and going, I was like, what, 18 maybe, 20? No, I was 20. I'm like, dude, if this is it, how could you be here at this same place for 15 years? No, it's fucked. <laughs> like, it does something to you. And I want to add on to that. Like, you know what's messed up is I've noticed. There's this whole thing of like, you got to work your way to the top kind of shit. And so they keep you working in positions for long times, dangling promotions. And I've found that like fucking nine times out of 10, they never actually promote you though. They just hire outwards. And it's just some like douchebag out of business school who doesn't know his fucking ass from his ankle and then runs the company into the ground management style. And meanwhile, the person who's worked there for 10 years, who's promised a, a promotion, just gets fucked around for a, another five years before they decide to quit. And I've seen that happen time and time again at several different establishments. We've reached a point where I can't talk about this even on video. <laughs> that's, a okay. real, that's a real topic uh, where if I levied an opinion, um, look, all I'm trying to say is I have a promotion in real life that's pending right now in my life and being yeah. positive about my company on social media is all that it's about. We mad legitimate. We make softwares. It's dope. But I'm not going to go talk about that one right now because I don't have the self-control. <laughs> yeah, don't. That's a good one. Let's sidestep this minefield. Uh, and also, I'm looking at the time. It's 9.03, so I'm going to have to wrap it up shortly. Yeah, fair enough. But... Uh, I did want to like tell you about a couple other fucking exciting things and also make space for if you had a couple of other questions and shit which we'll say for you in the chat if you have questions this would be a great time to ask them 
that is what is up. And then you um, can say your things. And you as well, man. If you had like, you know, because you, we started off like Bro, with a couple we, specific, we, no, real deep ones. This and is then it. Deviated this is the show. It. You just this is that, the show. that's the experience. That's where people leave after and go, bro. I've never had an interview like this before. I'm like, yeah, no, because I don't have plans. I mean, in your case, I have a couple of pointed, like ideas, because I was there, for parts of it. So I saw parts mm-hmm. of it. So it's like my history too. But like the show is at least for the first like real episode, you're like five, and then we walk through your life, and then tangents <laughs> happen. And then we land at the present where you give your like, this is what's coming next shit. And then we talk about political issues for a while. And then we wrap up when people get too hungry or whatever. So exactly you just did happened. the show. <laughs> that was, that's Bridge the Gap. That's the that's, that's what this experience is. That's why I like, I don't know. I love it. This was dope. This was a beautiful experience, man. I'm here for it. Um, I'm not seeing anything in the chat at this time. Which is fine. Sometimes they have questions. Sometimes they've all been actually answered. Because the way I try to do it is to get you to answer all the typical bullshit through ulterior ways. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? The question sucks. What are your top 10? Blah. Nobody answers that well. Everyone does this shit. And for well, a live... Who I'm listening to this week. <laughs> and you know, for a live, though, it's a bad look. Yo, you just create radio silence. And I'm like, mm, we got to not ask that question as much as possible. Yeah, um, but, uh, I apologize for any radio silence nah, that you may were, have created. You crushed my guy. This is yo. We don't break three hours for boring people. That's just That's the facts point. of the situation. Like, and we're still at eleven. In fact, the number kind of climbed. It was like a slow start after that raid, and now it's like ascended into this wonderful situation where a bunch of people are invested in you in, in this moment. So, oh, yes, we are going to wrap up. Not a lot of people lurk. That's that's part of their culture. They do like chores and shit, or they cook and they do things while we're like on, which is why it's blessed. Um, and honestly, uh, my girlfriend says it was great uh, hanging out with you. It was always a pleasure. But it would be a good time for I you to drop that. your like outro shits that you wanted to say. Yes, I appreciate that. Well, first and foremost, um, I'm reshifting all of my focus towards Patreon. So. Go ahead and follow me mm, on Patreon. I'm going to link that because I did not. <laughs> Amazing. For the price of a coffee, you can invest in my music. Um, and it's essentially as little as a dollar a month and goes as high as 75 bucks a month if you're feeling saucy. Um, but basically, you get different reward systems and different tiers, and you get to be on the forefront of seeing music creation and hear all kinds of dope unreleased shit. Mm. Um so go check that out and then otherwise follow me on social media at Meyer Clarity. Um, except for on Twitter where I'm that Meyer Clarity. And if you haven't yet, uh I got an album coming out called Tour Support with Boney Washington. Um that's coming out June eleventh. Uh as well go check out Boney Washington, Skevious Tips, and Danielle Knoll, who are all part of No Damn Good Entertainment. Uh, and they all got dope shit dropping. Danielle's got a single coming next month. Skeeves has got an EP he's going to drop. So does Boney. Um, yeah, and check back. We're going to do more Twitch shit. I'm going I'm to rope you in. <laughs> nah, nah, don't worry. We're going to talk. Uh, it worked out in your favor that I did a morning album review that I really enjoyed doing. Because we had oh. talked about that shit and we did it like in the morning and a, a bunch of people came through and I'm like, oh fuck, it looks like 10 a.m. is a wonderful time of day to do this shit maybe. 
we'll, we'll, yeah, have, we'll have some things to talk about for sure uh no nah, because we had yeah. talked about doing shit he's actually been been on my ass to like run some of the shit on regularity he, he that was pointed i heard what he was doing there <laughs> uh, but like um it was a pleasure to have you um i really was i enjoyed this conversation a lot i think uh i think you did a lot for like the alternative lanes of hip-hop in montreal which like there weren't a lot of alternative lanes and like yo i guarantee you my entire career is easier because of like things you paved you got people used to like fucking weirdos doing shit so i could just go be like a weirdo and now there's a lot of weirdos like a lot of weirdos people aren't gonna like the fact that montreal has that many weirdo rappers like in regards to what they may be used to from the past <laughs> but in a lot of ways you're a huge part of that and so Man, i think that's the way for weirdo rap <laughs> yo it's blessed i mean i like it's it blessed. it's it's what i do so i can't really hate it <laughs> i mean it's just tell a... people i'm the founder of weirdo rap <laughs> i don't know uh... if it's the right word but just how it came out of my fucking head but like <laughs> i mean uh oh, i guess yeah hustler's catchphrase is everyone's a weirdo so that's a big point oh. eh there you go there you go i wouldn't we like, are all weirdos, go, like that far to like call it like claim name hustler shit but like i would just say like in general <laughs> like the idea of this alternative lane of shit is is definitely something not you a, had a huge hand in regardless to whatever because yo you did it and i'm not saying others didn't come before you and i'm not saying others ain't gonna be around you i'm saying you had an impact and a lot of people say your name to this day and when yeah, i say i, I know that. meyer clarity it counts for something more than it doesn't count for something so eh. bro I love the love, and I love being a part of this. This was like an amazing stroll down memory lane, and I want to give you your flowers for doing this, and I also want to give a shout-out to Northern Lights and the Laboratory and Drex and all the homies that came up with Underground Railroad. Oh, shit, I'm hitting my microphone. Um, <laughs> damn, you can tell I'm tired. <laughs> and, yeah, then uh, just shout-out to the whole Montreal scene. Uh, everyone doing it everyone that came up with fucking love y'all i want to come back home i miss y'all <laughs> um and yeah check the new shit we talk about a lot of crazy shit but yo thank you so much for having me on man this has been like such a unique and blessed experience and i yeah, I appreciate you doing it, man. I mean, not everyone's willing to give up a Saturday night, so appreciate that. And, you know, thank you all for watching, because without you guys being here and being in this live environment, I'd be less enthused, and uh, it's way better than the not live version. And then all of you watching in the future, thank you for watching in the future, because it's also wonderful. Like, it also helps validate the whole, like, everything. Like, we do this, people see it, and just kind of, like, create some momentum, and it's fucking blessed. So thank you for being a part of that. Like, follow, subscribe, all that yes. crap, comments, etc. Special thanks to the patrons, Ismail Ganamsi, Chris Patrick, Jonathan Barnes, DJ Black, Hercule, Linda Williams, and Scribble, the dope, support what we do. Patreon.com slash behind that suit. And if you're on Twitch and you have Amazon Prime, you can subscribe for free. Just throwing that out there. On that note, everybody, it's been real fun. Live long and prosper, everyone. And I'm going to...